Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Revely, revely, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. To call this a giant MK would really be just not accurate. This is not just a giant MK. This is one of the biggest MKs in MK's short but illustrious history. Welcome, everyone, on this Monday, the 11th of October, my brother's birthday. I'd wish him happy birthday, but he ain't fucking watching. My name is Luke Thomas. I am from Washington, D.C., Showtime Sports and uh, CBS and everything else in between. I am joined by my... It's not his birthday. It's not my birthday, although he is royalty from Connecticut, the king itself. It's Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian. Uh, you know, it may as well be my birthday, Luke, because Saturday night the world got to uh, get just a little taste of that of that biatch, that addiction, that curse that I have, which is the great sport of boxing. And uh, I hope, Luke, after getting just a little bit more than a taste, uh, people come back for the whole thing because what a night at the office, Luke. Fury, Wilder 3. But that's not the most important thing that we want to shout out on this fine Monday morning, Luke. We want to point back to the person on the other side of that camera. That's right. BC and I have been eagerly anticipating this day. We didn't know exactly when it would come, although we had a something of an idea <clears throat> that it would maybe be this month. We were hoping it would just happen before we went to the Canelo fight at the beginning of November, but happened even quicker. It did in part thanks to Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, but really, Really, in most parts, it's thanks to you. Ladies and gentlemen, we have hit our first and, frankly, one of our more noteworthy goals. We have reached 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. So, round of applause to everyone, including the staff here at MK who makes it all possible, but especially to everyone out there who finally clicked subscribe, BC. I know it took a long time. But we hit it. We got it, and we're here, and we're off to the races. Look, I would love to know who exactly was our 100,000th subscriber on YouTube because I would like to open mouth kiths that person, Luke, okay? By the way, little little footnote. Rosie Perez, the great actress and boxing fan, was actually my 10,000th Twitter follower, Luke, but this hey. is much bigger. This is much bigger than that. Whoever it is out there... Thank you, and obviously to everyone within the 100K Army here. A slow burn of late to get here, but boy, does that burn and itch feel good, Luke. Reminds you of college in many ways. Uh, Luke, this is not the, the mountaintop. In fact, this is just the beginning 
Um, thank you to our incredibly passionate and loyal fan base. If you're new here, if this is day one because you came here because of Fury Wilder 3, welcome to this ship. Uh, we, we, we board this ship two by two. There's, there's one of every animal in this group here, and uh, we are ready to take you to the promised land. That is entertaining, incredible analysis, the best show money can buy. And boy, is it expensive to pay us to do this. Yes. <laughs> It really is. But I want to thank one more time everybody. And listen, I can't speak for BC, but I feel like I, I kind of do a little bit. Our story has never been the one where we just immediately shot to popularity. That's just never been it's never been the way it's going to be for us. And at 42 and 43, it probably never will be. But one thing that we can do is just dedicatedly swing the axe day after day after day. And for most people, folks, this is how winning is done. It's the slow accumulation of greatness until it eventually just adds up into something great but we couldn't have done it without you guys we've been harassing and haranguing you for it so thank you thank you very much for putting this on here it's up to the next uh you know milestone 200k 500k a million whatever it ends up being but the first one is cleared and it's all thanks to you so really appreciate it and to thank you bc yes we have we have the merch store and a nice code for the folks why don't you go on to our merch store, which is morningcombat.store, where you can get such fine items as this fantastic Thomas versus Campbell shirt. And today, to give back to you for helping us get to where we are today, how about 20% off using our code, thank you, 100K on morningcombat.store. You can get Factory Town MMA, uh, uh, what do you call those things? Uh, old Hand man bags. packs? Man packs Fan yeah. bags. You can get... Donk Force bomber jackets. You can get um, whatever tie dye dad hats. We got good shit on there. We thank you, Fanny Packs. Thank you. Yes, we thank you for what you do. Please get twenty percent off. You, I know you. You always said, look that these shirts they look so good on BC. They make they make him look like he's been lifting weights a little bit. You can look this good too. Please do that. Yes, they don't do that, but they do look good, and we're giving you one out of every $5 off. So what do you have to lose? Today and today only, use the promo code THANKYOU100K. If you're listening on the podcast, it's the word THANK, the word YOU, and then 100K all together. Thank you 100K. So there you have it. Uh, as well, like the video, subscribe. Welcome if you are new here. We have literally, I think, over 1,000 new subs just in the last couple of days. So if you came to us from Fury Wild or 2, or 3, excuse me, we appreciate it. We'll get the show going in just a minute. You can see us there on social. If you have any emails for us, either for Wednesday's fan subs or for Friday's Dead Wrong segment, email the show, morningcombat at gmail.com. We will talk about this later in the show, BC, but Bellator is back in action. A light heavyweight tournament rolls on in Phoenix, Arizona this Saturday. And so if you want to watch that, you can even watch it for free, depending on your circumstance. You could try Showtime for free for 30 days right now. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go do something else with your life. But there it is. You only place the one, only one place to watch Bellator. It's on Showtime. Showtime for free. Go to Showtime.com. Get a 30-day free trial. All right, BC. I think that is everything, if I'm not mistaken. You ready to get this show started? I'm so ready to hit this thing hard. Fury Wilder 3. Luke, let's do it. Let's do it. We got a lot to get to. Okay, first things up, number one topic. Let's do it. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, when boxing delivers, does it not over-deliver? That was incredible. Tyson Fury defeats Deontay Wilder via 11th round KO in what can only be described as an instant classic and what can only be described as absolutely thrilling for as long as the fight lasted. We're going to talk about Tyson Fury individually. We're going to talk about Deontay Wilder individually. I want to start, however, with the fight. Brian Campbell, you have been watching boxing for as long as the sun has set on your life. Where does this rank 
all time among great heavyweight fights? Uh, the good news is, is it's right there. What do I mean? I mean, Bull Holyfield 1. I mean, even Thrilla in Manila, Ali Frazier 3. Is this fight as good or better than that? You know, that that's that's something very lofty. But this is in that damn conversation because it's very rare that the, the culmination of a great rivalry and over the past nearly three years, this has become a great rivalry between two of the biggest, most flamboyant, over-the-top characters in this sport. Six foot seven versus six nine, former champion against current champion, contrasting styles, all that. Yet they came together for a third time. And it was better than the first two. Luke, this fight was so special, not just because Deontay Wilder came willing to leave it all in the ring, which is what he complained about not being able to do in that second fight, although that second fight was one-way traffic, as we remember it, because of Wilder's willingness to put on 20 pounds of muscle and just go for it. You had an all-time great movie-type fight. This was Rocky movie shit, meaning you didn't see a lot of great technique. You didn't see a lot of great, let's say, strategic adaptions, although there were some very key ones in there, which, which really led to the result. But you saw two guys willing to fight for it, not box. And while that might have may have been the norm back in the day, Luke, or at certain times in history, Hagler, Hearns, right? These moments in time that we remember... At the highest level, you can also get skill. You can also get chess matches. This was nothing of that degree. The twists in terms of drama and momentum changes, it, it really, Rocky movie is the only way to compare it. Why is the heavyweight division the gateway drug of boxing to the casual fan? Because when it's at its best, like you mentioned, Luke, it grabs a hold of you and tugs. You have relatable yet over-the-top cartoon characters who went in there and fought like it was a damn video game. They didn't box, they fought. They put it on their sleeves. They showed vulnerabilities. They got up off the canvas. And we got 11 rounds of two-way slugfest action, five knockdowns. And Luke, I heard your uh, instant analysis for anybody. Thank you for catching that on Morning Combat late Saturday. The first five rounds in particular, I mentioned Hagler Hearns before. I mean, it was two guys going after it what a damn night at the office this is more than you could ask for this is the best representation of what this sport has to offer in the heavyweight division because of their willingness to fight luke which is what so much of this fan base really wants we all appreciate skill luke but we want to see a damn fight and this had history coming in bad blood and boy did it deliver yeah, I would in no way slander Joshua versus Usyk. I love what that fight was. We even praised it on the Monday after the Saturday where it took place for saying how good was this despite not even having a single knockdown. So it's a certain kind of fight. There's, I mean, boxing delivers many different kinds of fights even within a single division, even with a single calendar year. That was fun and cerebral and surprising, and it had its own kind of tension. I don't mean to take away from it. In fact, it's sort of like two sides of the same coin. I like that both are brought, but this fight was very, very different from that. Now, the last half of that fight began to set into a rhythm. But the first half, the first five, maybe six rounds, depending on how you want to count it, certainly the first four, no doubt about that, were just some of the most drama-filled you could ever imagine. Dude, by round three, I thought for sure 
Tyson Fury was about to pick up where he left off because he dropped Deontay Wilder in the third, fifth, and then stopped it in the seventh in the second fight. Drops him in the third round here. I'm like, here we go. Right back at it. But dude, credit to Deontay Wilder. We'll talk more about him in just a second, but he had a feeling that if he could get one more crack at Tyson Fury, things could be different. They weren't different in terms of what goes on the box rec uh, webpage or on Wikipedia, but they were very different in complexion, and it had everybody on pins and needles. I want to talk more about his strategy in just a minute, but but him sitting Tyson Fury down not once but twice in that fourth round. I went back and I looked, BC, about what people consider to be the all-time greatest heavyweight fights, and I have a hard time putting this on with Rumble in the Jungle or Thrill in Manila. Those are those are pretty special nights. But I cannot find a case where someone took a 10-7 and then went back and then stopped the other guy later in the fight. I can find instances where they got knocked down. I can find instances where they got knocked down in different rounds two times, but not twice in the same round. Dude, when it was a 10-7, <clears throat> I'm like, dude, even if Fury wins this on the judges' scorecards, he's going to have to pitch a shutout from there on out. And he almost basically did. But, dude, you want to talk about a historically unique set of circumstances that brought us to the result in that 11th round that we got. Dude, boxing and, frankly, sports, they just don't come a whole lot better than Saturday night. Look, real real quick, you know, you had mentioned that uh, on the IA pod that I was at the uh, CBS Sports HQ studio in Stanford, Connecticut. So I'm in the green room, actually sitting next to Bryant McFadden, two-time Super Bowl champion, who was there, of course, to break down college football. I brought my two sons, my 13-year-old twins, with me. It's sort of as they come, come to the office with dad, stay over in the hotel afterwards. I was so proud to have them on the couch next to me watching the giant wall big screen of one of those fights that you're going to remember where you were when it happened. Luke, this this heavyweight renaissance era that we're in, like it, obviously it could not have come at a better time in the last four or five years because of the era that preceded it with the Klitschko dominance and one-sided fights and not a lot of back and forth. And no one's saying this era, this group of guys, maybe with the exception of Fury, and we can get into that, have the same type of, you know, all-time great standing potential as the guys in the 90s or the 70s. But this era is special because of the size of the personalities and the bodies involved, their willingness to fight each other in a period where a lot of the best big fights don't get made because of boxing politics and because of their vulnerabilities to make fights like this. I got to enjoy that with my sons, which is a special moment to me. And as you asked me earlier how this relates to history... We've seen great barn burners in the heavyweight division. Everyone will tell you George Foreman, Ron Lyle, rightfully so, was incredible. They both got knocked down so many times. That wasn't for a world title at this stakes. Of course, we can point back to 2003 when Lennox Lewis uh, basically got sent into retirement after surviving a war with Vitaly Klitschko. But Luke, that was a five, six round fight that sort of was abruptly over due to that viciously bad cut. This was 11 and a half rounds of something so special. Does it exceed, to your point, Thrilla in Manila or Rumble in the Jungle or the first Ali Frazier? No. These two, uh, Fury and Wilder, just aren't on the same skill level or historic precedence, per se, as names like Ali, Foreman, and Frazier. And those fights were not only so big, so great, so such big stakes, but they were even more brutal and better. But to get what we got right now... It's like every storyline, Luke, that you and I played into came to fruition. The fact that Fury was two years removed from fighting. Would he have the same motivation level? Would he come in the same, you know, fitness level? This wasn't the best Fury we ever saw. But on the flip side, we said, you can talk all that stuff about Wilder being delusional, but his truth 
might be good enough for him to get him back in there and be the very best of what he has left at 35. And that's what we got. It was a perfect storm of everything you would want. And Luke, I think it's going to go in that same category as Bo Holyfield won of just one of those great two-way fights. You remember where you were. You remember the personalities. And it just so happened to be the final chapter in a great trilogy. And also, it deserves to be said, I said this on the Instant Reaction show, BC, so I don't know if you caught this part, but surely you must agree, dude, this rivalry, if you go back to where Tyson and Fury, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder were, in particular, well, at this point, both of them, but especially Tyson, obviously, given that he was the winner in two of the three, and really maybe all three, but, um, dude, these guys elevated their brands through this rivalry, they elevated their their standing within the the sports community they elevated the sport they the sport, elevated yes. heavyweight division i mean Usyk and joshua did their part recently as well i certainly do not wish to diminish that but in terms of like popular attraction in a more global scale i would argue obviously joshua is enormously popular as well but i think tyson fury has reached a pretty special level at this point but these two together that rivalry dude it did so much for this era of heavyweights over the course of now three years and amidst a global pandemic these guys were built for each other they gave everything they had in this fight i thought wilder was a little bit better i thought fury was a little bit worse relative to what we had seen in previous outings but either way that mix made for such a combustible moment on saturday night but we got to give these guys credit, BC. They did a lot for themselves and the sport of boxing in the heavyweight division and how they've and, conducted themselves. And the timing themselves. of it is key to what you're saying, what they elevated. So it's not to overlook the Anthony Joshua Vladimir Klitschko fight from 2017, which was like the you know the, the key master of old Klitschko sort of handing it off to the new guy, AJ, and they both knocked each other down. It was a great classic fight, but it's as if like the mainstream didn't necessarily see that on the same level there was a little bit of a mainstream crossover but that was the beginning of this new era now we're at sort of the peak of this new era they know this rivalry because of how dramatic the first fight was and the personalities of both again Pacquiao Marquez 4 is an exception. Ali Frazier 3 is an exception for the final fight in a series to exceed all of the expectations. Man, Luke, this is these are the turning point moments where the, the casual audience is willing to put its eyes back into what boxing is doing, and now it's up to boxing to keep them there. Traditionally, boxing will break your heart and kick you back out on the street. Let's hope that this, for now, can create a... a a, a stretch of two, three, six months, a year uh, of people taking notice to the big fights and them delivering. Yeah, listen, I'm not here to bash Jake Paul. He's doing his thing. You know, he's 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 made a great moment for himself. He's going to get paid. Everyone's got a right to either like it or dislike it. It is what it is. It's fine. But it's nice to see, like, the best heavyweight in the world be the one that's also getting a ton of eyeballs. Canelo, when he fights, lifts the sport. Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder lifted the sport. These guys are the highest end. It's nice to see the highest end of boxing do the kind of work that you know it's capable of rather than guys who are incredible self-promoters but not really full boxers in that sense. It's just better for boxing that way. I want to talk about the fight itself, BC. Again, the first six, first five rounds, I thought, were just some of the most incredible rounds you're going to see. But BC, do you agree with me? By the time we hit the sixth round, certainly by the tenth round, when Wilder went back down again, at that point you knew he was in deep, deep trouble, probably wasn't going to make it far past that. I do feel like from the sixth round on, Wilder had moments where this is where you have to credit Wilder in the back half of the fight. He was gassed. I don't think the bulk did him a ton of good in the end, maybe some, 
I don't think it solved the problem for him in the way that he thought. But he did just punch back enough to keep Russell Mora off of him, keep the fight going, keep Tyson Fury, frankly, honest. But that was Tyson Fury's back half by a country mile. True or false? True. In fact, I scored this fight at the time of the stoppage eight rounds to two in favor of Fury. I gave Wilder the opening round when his targeted body attack was fantastic, not just in jabs, but those overhand rights. You know, I don't think Fury expected Wilder to be the aggressor and get off first, and he had to make an adjustment. And then obviously round three, which was a 10-8 round, I don't. Uh, there were a few close rounds after that, and certainly Wilder had big moments at the end of some of these rounds, round nine and particularly round ten. The round before, he got stopped. He had some late in the final 30 seconds. He would kind of come on with some combinations where you're like, oh, wow, like he's really never out of it until he's out of it. But, Luke, you made the comparison not direct, but sort of related on, hey, you ever see those heroin addicts who kind of stumble around? That's where he, Luke, he, Deontay Wilder was in zombie mode from round three on when he got knocked down. It's just that when normally that is a beginning of the end for most fighters, Luke, that's where Wilder is at his most dangerous when he's wounded because it looked like one punch could drop him at any point over those nine rounds that followed or seven or eight rounds that followed. Yet they never actually did, which is obviously a, a tribute to him, although he did go down that one more time in, in, a, in the 10th round. Um, it was just that I don't know why the judges had it so close, meaning uh, Fury was leading on, on the three scorecards by only four, three, and two points. Maybe some of those close rounds you saw either way. But unlike the second round in the point when Mark Breland threw in the towel, it was justified for all of us because Wilder was bleeding from his ear and just a one-sided mangled mess. This was a guy who, I mean, Luke, we have to sit here and praise Wilder. The, rep, the, the, the damage to his reputation he did after the second fight with the excuses and the conspiratorial stuff, it's almost impossible to come back from that. But we all need to stop and, and bow down to this man for being willing to, uh, to fight with this type of passion passion is the word Luke it's just you know it's a never say die it's courageous his you know even though he looked wobbled and, and tired and ready to go in round three he fought at such a sustainable level where he was never out of it there is just something about the will in a person to do that that Wilder not only deserves the credit in the aftermath, and I know people are upset he didn't shake Fury's hand. Who gives a damn, bro? It's just well, like we'll, get, we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. I do okay, think that I don't give a classless. damn I mean, if he doesn't want to shake hands afterwards. Nah. He left his heart in that ring, and I think rightfully you're seeing a lot of people tweet out, hey, maybe we didn't give Wilder the love during his run for just being vulnerable and exciting that, that he deserved. Now, the truth is, Luke, the foundational elements that he does not have as a boxer cost him in all three of these fights, but really cost him in this one, beginning with the third round. So let me break it down like this. Round one, I think we all liked his body attack. Luke, I don't think that's sustainable for Deontay Wilder to keep up that level of pace taking the lead. And I think once Fury started to find a way to slow that down and counter it, I already saw Wilder sucking big win by the end of round two, okay? But I think the biggest reason why he lost this fight is the adjustment that Tyson Fury began making in round four, which is to play the big man style and lean all over him and almost adopt the Vladimir Klitschko way of one punch, clinch, and then maul on the inside. I know that made for maybe the the, the 
didn't always have the most exciting tone, particularly, you know, from round six through 11 to see so much holding and Russell Mora had his hands full. But Luke, even though Wilder put on the muscle to be able to contend better in these moments, he didn't have the foundational know-how, knowledge, and just muscle memory to know how to keep Fury off of him. Fury's adjustment, Luke, in mauling him not just wore down the stamina of Wilder, but most important, Wilder can only punch and score effectively when he has distance to get the full extension. Luke, here's an interesting thing I, I, I realized. I don't think you can overrate Wilder's power, right? When he hits you good, the it's fight's over, over yeah. 80, 90% of the time. I mean, really, Tyson Fury is the only heavyweight that can do this with Wilder, which is get into a war at this level and be big enough, long enough, quick enough, but most importantly, tough enough to be the last man standing. What we did overrate was Wilder's delivery mechanism to get to that punch. He really needs space and he needs to load up on the right hand. He's really ineffective outside of that. So it's not enough that Fury just took away his jab for most of the series by being so faint, heavy in movement. His ability to rush in and maul and hold, it's not dissimilar to what Evander Holyfield did to upset Mike Tyson in their first bout. It's basically knowing that my opponent needs the space and room to land, and if I take that away from him, he is ineffective in those spaces. I think Wilder's ultimate ability to not be able to push Fury off and keep him away is what ultimately cost him this fight. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, here's the thing, though, where I disagree a little bit. We'll talk about Fury and Wilder in particular and how we view them and where they go from here in just a minute. But in speaking about the fight, what I will give Deontay, what I thought was missing was I thought that he was full of rage going into this fight. I thought that he was full of hurt and pain. And I thought that that would do more to derail him than elevate him. Turns out it did more to elevate him than derail him. So that part got wrong. Mia culpa. The part that I still maintain that I got right was that there was way too much of a skill differential in the second fight shown that even after a global uh, pandemic and even after all the time off, that, that was going to be a sufficient uh, um, window in which to develop the skills necessary to box with Tyson Fury. Now, I don't think Tyson Fury was the very best version of himself. There were some issues about camp. The guy had COVID twice. You know, again, some people get it mildly, some people don't. But, you know, not great necessarily for boxing preparation. And I thought it took him a little bit of time to kind of get into a rhythm, even with that third-round knockdown. But basically, here was the score for me. The body shots early were great. I liked them, but one, he went away from them. Two, I thought he went to them way too often at the beginning. And really, he didn't keep building off of that. Once he got tired, it was kind of just being back to the one-two. He was willing himself to stay in those rounds, like the seventh, eighth, and ninth round, when he knew he was outgunned. One guy had way more skills than the other one. So the praise that I would have for Deontay Wilder's performance, we'll talk about the man in just a minute, is that he really just decided I'm going to give every absolute inch of my psychological will to push my body quite literally forward as well much said. as I possibly can. But the skill differential that you saw in the second fight, that was the story of the third one as it relates to Tyson Fury. Now, you're right. He changed tactics. What I mean to say, though, is this overall ability that he has. Dude, the first time he fought the most devastating puncher of our era, he did it on the jab on the outside and may arguably won it, but certainly had the draw, right? Second time comes out, just marches into him with that Sugar Hill uh, uh, Stewart Kronk style, marches him over, wins inside seven. 
this time has to get off the canvas twice in a single round and uses jabs at long range from distance. This like jousting jab that he had. And then on the inside, dude, I went and I made notes. I took notes of every common position that he went to in the clinch. The one, the, the one that he went to the most that was so crafty, he had an overhook on the right side, not a super hardcore one, not an MMA wrestling one, but he would cover the left arm with his right. And then with this one, I'm going to try and back up just a little bit if I can. With his left arm, BC, he would put his elbow in the air like this. And with that, the right arm would have to wrap around it. Or if he wanted to come inside for an uppercut, he could. Or if he wanted to just reach inside and grab uh, for a collar tie or an overhook on that same side, he could as well. Dude, he used that position. And by the way, he could bump Deontay Wilder off of him and then score with just a little bit of distance. He tore Deontay Wilder up in that space so he true. got in so many free shots at distance dude you're right dude Deontay Wilder man how many how many times were that with I think it was like maybe the second or maybe the fifth round where they threw and then they locked on their biceps because they both threw at the same time dude you trade like that with Deontay Wilder bad shit is eventually going to happen but in this space where you're right on top of them what a master class in the clinch from the gypsy king unbelievable this is where this is where him being a unicorn, Luke, having a 40-pound weight advantage, a two-inch height and reach advantage against a fighter who's always the bigger man in Wilder, that's why maybe he's the only one that could do this to him. So a couple things are true that we, that we touched on. This was not the best version or even best performance of Tyson Fury, but he figured out a lane to be able to to control the danger in the in the in ultimately the terms of the fight the best way he could which with with the with the tactics that you mentioned of shortening up the fight of mauling and look this is just where Wilder's inexperience and just lack of a of a true amateur background came to the sport at 19 it's almost a miracle that he won a bronze medal at the Olympics just on power and athleticism alone but look it's the same thing of like the first fight against Luis Ortiz that round that Wilder was almost stopped in he didn't know when you're hurt even to clinch it's like he just doesn't have those basic instincts if you could ask yourself what could he have done differently well obviously when he's getting mauled in those tie-ups He's got to be able to be dirty. He's got to be able to do something, use his jab, do anything to keep Fury off of him and give him a reason not to constantly close the distance and maul. So, Luke, I think as much as we're going to rightfully say this was not the best Fury ever, but he gutted it out, I don't think Wilder properly used the 18 months to his advantage like we said he would need to to, to better his chances. He, he leaned on his iron will and kudos to him to the nines because that's why this fight was so crazy and dramatic but he couldn't even establish a consistent jab luke and whatever he did well with the body in the first round the second fury made adjustments in round two not only did wilder not go back to it he was already gassing in that regard so um couple things you know to, to not miss out on when you look back on this fight i, then, I think wilder could have we're going to give malik scott a lot of credit but i also think they did not do with that with that 18 months what they could have also, the, the way he distributed his weight, I mean, I get that, BC, you wouldn't want to add a ton of muscle to your legs because that by itself could slow you down. Maybe a little bit of muscle mass, you know, and maybe he did. I, it's hard to know and whatever. It, did it not, this could be my, my, my imagination. I'm not in any way asserting it is true. I'm just merely trying to make sense of what I observed. Did it not look to you, and this has always been the case a little bit, but even more exaggerated, he looked really top-heavy. He looked like he had a big back, big shoulders huge shoulders big arms big chest 
and his legs are skinny. Now, again, his le- it's always been the case, but it looked like really pronounced as he got tired very quickly from all the muscle, no matter where it would be distributed, that probably would have been the case. But I don't know. It just seemed like it wasn't an overall contribution to athletic potential. It seemed specifically designed for one purpose, which, okay, you got some of that for sure, but then once you got it, there was no going back to it, and now you're stuck with this anchor. Well, look, I bet it was designed to try to keep Tyson off of him in close range, but it's it's as if... Once Fury is once once Wilder is overwhelmed in the clinch, there's sort of like a withdrawal and, and an acceptance of that from him. Mm. You did you didn't really see him fight out of the clinch. That's why Russell Moore, who I thought overall did a very good job, and, and there were times that you know he was using every ounce of effort just to keep these two apart. So there was a chance we could see some action. I mean, Wilder ultimately failed miserably with the added muscle, Luke, in doing anything to gain separation between the two. No doubt about it. I also feel like one of the things I got lost is in really good, and this is where the fight ultimately ended. Man, Tyson Fury was so good, not just finding close contact, but about bullying Deontay Wilder against the yeah. ropes and leaning on him and pulling him and turning him, trapping him in corners. It speaks to the to the heart of Deontay Wilder that he just absorbed that, which ended up being I'm not I don't let me see if you agree, BC. I don't think this fight ever got to a point where I was like, okay, it obviously needs to be stopped here. Now, when he got knocked down the third time in the 10th round or whatever, or 11th round, excuse me, uh, that point I was like, okay, Russell Moore, I didn't even fucking call, uh, give him a count. He just called it. Fine. No problem. Even in that 10th round, you, I'm not saying that someone couldn't have stopped it in those points. I'm saying there was no obvious point where you really demanded it had to be there. Would you agree with that? And in general, Russell Mora kind of managed that about as best as could be, you know, uh, uh, ascertained. Absolutely. I thought the point that Wilder came the closest to being legitimately, lo- I mean, look, he looked ready to go from round three. Let's not lie about that, right? But the point I thought to end round seven was his lowest moment, uh, Deontay Wilder, where he really looked wary and and you could almost be like, kid gloves ready to stop it but the problem for that argument was what i said earlier rounds eight nine and ten he flurried to end those rounds luke wilder got off the canvas in round 10 and had the better stuff over the final 30 seconds i legitimately thought he was catching fury at at a point where he was maybe winded because fury got the knockdown in round 10 kind of tested the waters to see if a finish was there wasn't able to get it and then wilder now that he had some separation was just putting it on him with hooks so to wilder's credit he never let it get to the danger territory where this argument of throwing in the towel was necessary even more luke when he got knocked out cold in round 11, I thought Russell Moore had made the obvious call to wave it off without a count. Yet Wilder was still stirring, kicking his legs, trying to move his knees and get up. Luke, tell me a performance where someone gave more. I mean, where someone showed more of what they're made of. God damn. Yeah, this is what I was trying to tell folks who were saying, you know, you know everyone want- People, listen, Tyson Fury is going to get the praise he deserves. He's the victor of this and the winner of this trilogy in the most epic of ways. But that doesn't mean you can discount everything Deontay Wilder did. And this is the argument that I made on Saturday night. If you want to say that there should have been different ways in which he could have prepped. First of all, I I still think he trained very hard for this. He did look to be in tremendous physical condition, whether or not it was the appropriate one for winning. But, you know, the guy was in the gym. Let's put it that way. And he was in the gym very consistently. And he was obviously eating appropriately, too. So you got that. What my argument was is once he made the walkout and once he stepped in between the ropes 
to fight Tyson Fury, what else could you ask of him? And my answer to that is nothing. There is nothing else you could have asked of Deontay Wilder. Given what his skills are, and given what his cardiovascular conditioning is, and given what his heart is, I think you got the most out of everything. True or false? 100% true, and it makes me want to spin a, a little bit of a hot-button question. I saw a lot of debate on Twitter about it in the last you know, 36 hours is this. Okay, Wilder's as crude or more crude than he's ever been in terms of game planning and skills. It's all will and power, okay? But with that said, Luke, would he have beaten every single other heavyweight on this night with that shape and performance and mindset that he came in with? Because even though you could tell me, well, Wilder's chin is a little shaky at times. Could I see Joshua finishing him? Sure, maybe. Dillian White, you know, whatever. But Luke, we saw the two Luis Ortiz fights in which Ortiz, who's, you know, I mean, he's elite. He is damn elite. Putting it on Wilder for rounds yet ultimately succumbing once he got a little fatigued and he got hit with the big one. Luke, I love me some Usyk. I love me some AJ when things are going right for him. I'm really not sure there was another heavyweight on this night that could have finished the 12 full rounds against him than Fury, who, who again, not only did give him credit for his heart, but to finish off Wilder on top of that within the distance, just incredible. I mean, Luke, seriously, does Wilder end up outlasting, out-enduring, and finishing every other heavyweight with that performance? I, I want to get to that when we focus on him specifically, specifically because I do have an answer for that. But certainly, um, I think it's a very, very, very fair and very... It tells you a lot about his future, which we'll get to in just a second. All right, so let's go to point number two. We talked about the fight here for just a second. Let's focus in on Tyson Fury. We, we will get to Deontay in specifics in just a moment. But topic number two, Tyson Fury, dude, what can you say about this guy? We were, we were talking about the fight and where it ranks all time among the best heavyweight fights. Well, where does Tyson Fury rank all time among the best heavyweight fighters, BC? Because now I'm not saying, oh, he's better than Ali. He's better than Frazier. He's better than Norton or Holmes or whoever, whoever you want to put in these conversations. But I am saying he is beginning to enter a space where evaluating him in the all-time perspective is now not only warranted, it's absolutely demanded. So there are major pros and cons against his historical rank in this argument. But obviously, let, let's stop and say uh, he, he won this entire rivalry and on, his, on an, somewhat of an off night for him, he still finished off maybe the most dangerous finisher in this sport's history. So, like... Good Lord. You know what I mean? This is why he is the face of this era and the fighter of record of this era. What is against Fury's all-time placement remains, Luke, his lack of a deep resume. Anthony Joshua's resume in terms of the names, the amount of names that he's beaten, I'm sorry, it's still better than what, what Fury has done. So Fury's given us two wins over Derek Chisora, who was a solid, you know, uh, contender. The, the classic upset of Klitschko, which was, I mean, it ages so much better over time, and it was thorough, and it was amazing. And... Basically two and a half or three wins, depending on your stance against Deontay Wilder. The problem has been he missed almost four years of his absolute prime after beating Klitschko. And even in between fights in this rivalry, Luke, you had the two years off most recently. And even between the other fights, you had, you know, stay busy, come back, you know, surfing safari, Otto Valin, uh, just, you know, not all time names that are going to end up on your resume. But what keeps Fury in this argument and really, it's hard to keep him out. And it's hard to say that there's a line in which you can't rank him above that is because in the mythical matchmaking, in the, you know, in the eye test, Luke, I'm sorry. Like, 
we can say all we want about Rocky Marciano, but he was like what five foot eight and a hundred and you know eighty five pounds. I know I'm off a little bit on both, but you get my point. It was a different time, a different era. Tyson Fury six foot nine, with a chin and an all time great fighting spirit and quickness and speed and agility. That's ridiculous for someone six foot five, let alone six nine. And oh, by the way, he transformed his style and now he can punch. Not one punch knockout, but he can walk you down and maul you and punch. He's in a conversation, Luke, on a one fight, peak versus peak, against every heavyweight of all time. I'm serious about that. You know, you there is not a heavyweight that you're like, oh, he destroys Fury on his best. No, there's a fight to be had there. He is a unicorn, not only of this era, but of all time. So if he can stay on this road of collecting big victories, and by the way, his mandatory in the WBC is now Dillian White. If they make that fight early next year and the WBC stands firm and White refuses, you know, payment to step aside, that's another must-get big win that only adds to his resume. But he's going to need to make sure he cleans this division out right now and leaves no doubt. And Luke, he's on his way to becoming a top 10 heavyweight. And if he can beat everybody, if he can beat a refurbished AJ, if he can beat Usyk for all four belts, if he can beat Dillian White, he already beat Klitschko, and there's no questions asked left you know, to be answered, you may end up putting this guy in the top five or six. And that sounds crazy because you got Ali, Joe Lewis, Jack Johnson, George Foreman, Lennox Lewis. I mean, this is a, you know, a very crowded, rightfully so, Jack Dempsey conversation. But I think the problem against most heavyweights is outside of the 1970s or 1990s, there has never been a great heavyweight era. Those are the only two. And while right now, Luke, we still can't really commit to saying this is a great era. It's a hugely exciting era. There are names. There are, there are you know, there are fights to make. But this era is better than a lot of those eras which produced a lot of those all-time greats. So if Fury stays the course, Luke, because of that mythical matchmaking argument, he has a chance to, to, to get into that top five, which is, you know, look, there's going to be people that hear that and go, you're crazy. But, but really think about it and look at it. They don't make six foot nine heavyweights who can move like this and can also fight their way out of trouble. It's this, what you're watching is something historically special. He is um, he might be, in terms of like I don't know exactly how to word this BC, but like this dude is, the, is, is, is very much the total package, right? Your point is, I think, well taken. In order to get into these conversations about all-time greatness, we have to have a resume that we can look at. And on that resume, there are some things lacking from Tyson Fury's, as good as it is, and it's quite good. He's undefeated, 31-0-1. But to your point, you need a Dillian White on there. You need uh, some of these other top contenders along the way. And then once that fills out, we can then begin to have a bigger conversation. But you're, what you're also not denying is that, BC, true or false, I want to make my point here, but true or false, you wouldn't pick any other heavyweight over Tyson Fury, would you, at this point? Well, no. What, 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 Cur currently today? active. Currently active. Yeah, yes, yeah. Currently active. He, he's, I think he's the best of today's group, and I think there's actually a gap, Luke. Yeah. he's. Uh, I think there's a gap, too. He's clearly the best heavyweight walking the planet right now. But more than that, dude, this guy does essentially everything. Right, understand something. We talk about his size. He doesn't just have big size. He uses big size. He has a long jab. He smothers opponents when he needs to. And yet, when he needs to be fleet of foot and when he's L-stepping and when he has to be 
on his toes and, and use trunk movement and lateral movement. He does that too. You want to fight him at range? He can do that. You want to fight on the inside? He can do that. Dude, Tyson Fury gave Deontay Wilder three tries to beat him. And Lord knows he came close a couple of times, but close ain't enough. This guy still won. And then on top of that, promotes the fuck out of the fight all three times beforehand, doing tours and sitting in studios and doing radio interviews and looking at a computer screen for hours and hours on end, answering questions over and over and over again. And all for the most part, always did it with a smile on his face to say nothing of the comeback in 2018 when he was grossly overweight and an alcoholic and everything else he has said, suicidal the whole nine yards. You add in that. Then after the fact, dude, he's singing into the microphone, partying with Steve Aoki and doing the whole bit. Uh, you know, not even really being super mean to Deontay Wilder, who had a really, you know, just a terrible moment after the fight, I think, and not checking his in. I disagree with you there. What am I pointing out, BC? Dude, what can you say about Tyson Fury? Is he a front runner? No. Is he a guy who folds late? No. Is he a guy who has an obvious weakness one place or the other? No. Is he a guy who loses mental focus even in a bad time? No. Where is the gap in his skill? I'm not saying he's perfect. But what I'm saying is, dude, you are looking at a prize fighter in full. In all the things you need a prize fighter to be in the modern era, charismatic, daring, giant for heavyweights, giant, in your face, talented, good on the mic, committed, hard worker. Dude, he is all of that and then some. It is going to be a very long time before you see somebody who can cross off virtually everything down the line on what you want a prize fighter to be. Tyson Fury is the apex predator, I think, across combat sports in and, that way. You know, I we can get worn down by his comeback story sometimes if you've heard it ad nauseum. And it just happens. Look, if, if any fighter had a cancer comeback story, which happens, you know, it just gets beaten down on the TV. I get it. Never lose track of how absurd it was that he came back from what he did. Never lose track, Luke, that coming into the Klitschko fight in 2015... Nobody gave him a chance, Luke, because he was a 6'9 guy with what we thought pillow hands. So to see this conversion, it, it's wild. I mean, look, I don't think he beats Wilder in fights two and three and, unless he went through that Otto Valin scare because that was really where he learned out of necessity to fight and use his size and his weight and lean. I mean, he has made the adjustments and, and stayed the course. And one final salute to both fighters, but particularly Tyson Fury, do you know why we got this trilogy, Luke? Because it was supposed to be that Anthony Joshua versus Deontay Wilder was the heavyweight fight of this era. That was supposed to be the one, but they went two years of chasing each other and blaming each other in a soap opera and it never happened. Don't forget that that first fight in 2018 happened because Fury was sick of everybody talking about AJ and, and Wilder and knew he was the A-side in this whole thing and slid right in. And Wilder's like, you know what, I'm going to do this. Kudos to those guys. They, these, these three fights kept this era afloat while AJ was getting big wins but losing his belt twice. And look, Joshua's going to have a chance to come back. And for all we know, maybe he beats Usyk and maybe Joshua versus Fury still is the biggest fight we can make in this era. But Fury has done everything we could have asked for him. So let's, let's hope that he gets the chance to face everyone you know, left standing in this era and leave no doubt. Last question before we transition to Deontay specifically, but there are a lot of questions with Wilder being 35 that he might retire after this, and we'll see. We'll talk about him in just a minute. But for Fury, you know, he's, he's not said he wants to retire. That's not what he said, but he has said things like, what do the belts matter? I've had literally all of them at one point or another. Really, it's just me versus me at this point. And to, 
to some extent, there is a little bit of truth to that. He's 33. He doesn't have a whole lot of time left. Are you worried he might only have one or two more fights left? Well, 33 means nothing at heavyweight. As heavyweight, you know, I know. So that, but, but, but that's him, certainly it's not a little... the fear. Uh, did he take some damage in this rivalry in the first and third fight? Absolutely. But, you know, throughout his career, he didn't take a ton of damage, despite what he put his body and mind through physically during that time off. I do believe, Luke, we're, we're more likely to get less from him than more or too much in terms of the amount of fights. That's why I'm a little bit fearful for that legacy. I don't want to be like, you know, Andre Ward. Let's give Andre Ward as an example, Luke. Retired on his own terms as the unbeaten pound-for-pound pound king. Two-division champion. Great. All-time great. But what really kind of hurts Andre Ward from catapulting beyond that into, like, the real all-time conversations is, you know, didn't have a, did he have enough super elite fights? He sat out for long stretches fighting for his contract like that. I don't want that to happen to Fury. I do believe, though, Luke... Once he gets that chance to fight for the four belts and be the undisputed champion of this era, which I think he, I don't want to say he needs to do, but that would be the smartest move you can make to really plant your flag and leave no doubt and, and have your chance to be ranked as high historically as you can. I think if he accomplishes that, we, we may not see him again, really, hmm. you know, unless there's one big super fight a year or two later that, that, that could lure him back. So I think the road to get there, we have to focus on because it's, it may be what we have left. And that road may include Dillian white early next year. And then maybe a two fight series against the winner of Usyk Joshua. Like we may only have three fights left with him, but uh, to what you're saying, I think mentally he is a fighting man. As he says, you know, he comes from a lineage of bare knuckle champions and that's what, serves the will and, and backbone and fighting spirit for him to to get out of this you know as the last man standing but i don't think he necessarily wants to do this you know another five six seven ten times no luke i think i think we're gonna have to savor what we have left all right so let's transition to deontay wilder who is something of a more complicated character in all of this topic number three deontay wilder as i said before I had dismissed his chances, and again, around the, by the third round, I thought, right, exactly, here's where we are. But he exceeded expectations because he just demonstrated an iron will. BC, he wanted the opportunity to go out on his shield, and Tyson Fury treated it like Brad Pitt in Inglorious Bastards talking to the bear Jew. Oblige him. He obliged him. You wanted to do it? Well, here you are. Congratulations. And then not shaking his hand or being sportsmanlike after the fact. BC, I want to focus in on that, not necessarily to start the conversation, but it's not that I think that the media or the fans should beat him up over it. Like, oh, what a scoundrel. You, do, you, know, you should do better. Well, you should do better. But here's the part that I think he's missing. You're right, dude. Like, there is so much love for him as a virtue, uh, I should say, as a consequence of this performance that he is actively pushing away. And it's that rejection that I don't think is ever going to let him heal. Like, dude, you got to get over the second fight. And you got to get over now, frankly, the results of the third fight. As our friends over on the Showtime Boxing Podcast, Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney said, dude, Deontay Wilder is 42-0 against anyone not named Tyson Fury. I mean, you can like that fact or you can hate that fact, but it's a fact, okay? <clears throat> but to, to treat this at the end with no grace about what these two shared, about how much he benefited, frankly, from this moment, about what is still left for him, which we'll talk about in just a second. I thought it was not, a, it's a shame, but more than that, dude, I just, I pity him a little bit. He's rejecting the world when the world is ready to embrace him. 
I disagree fully, Luke, on on both sides of that point. One, um, you say like, you know, he hasn't come to terms with the second or third fight. Luke, he doesn't need to. In fact, if he when he comes to terms really? with those, it, it might be time for him to retire. Why? Because Luke, it's obvious. From what we saw, his reaction to the second fight, his double down on those terms ahead of this third fight, and then the performance in terms of will that he put out, he is fueled by being so far removed from the real truth, by creating his own truth. That gives him his edge. That gives him his spite. So why am I not concerned that he didn't shake hands and do the sportsman thing? Well, in one regard, Luke, he's become the villain in boxing because he's sort of pushed again, he, because he was never accepted as the hero. So listen to it from this terms and you may disagree and that's fine. There's really no reason he shouldn't have been embraced more by the American public, a six foot seven slugger, an American champion who's jacked and covered with tattoos and great on the microphone and has a heartwarming story of only coming to boxing because his daughter had spina bifida and he needed money to pay for bills and he becomes this accidental Olympic medalist and all this stuff, Luke. And, you know, maybe it's because of where boxing was in regards to the American team sport landscape. Or maybe it, what he says a lot when given the chance is, is there's racial undertones in, and I'm not saying anyone here has to agree with that, yeah, but that might be the truth that he lives by. He was never embraced. And I know he gets caught up in the wrong way on, like, I'm fighting a foreigner and I'm from the U.S. and the media, you know, and in the networks, they need to stand by me and not criticize me. That's all bullshit. But again, Luke, that's what fuels him. He's never been embraced and loved in, in a lot of ways by his own country. He would fight on, on mainstream TV and not get big ratings. And you're like, what else would this guy need to do? So from his standpoint, that callous, that's what fuels him. The second he goes up to Wilder and or Fury and hugs him and shakes his hand and says, no, that's when he loses that edge. Is it not sport? It's not sportsmanlike, but Luke, you know, it wasn't sportsmanlike. LeBron not shaking hands when he lost that time in the conference sure. finals. Isaiah Thomas and the Pistons not shaking the hands of the Bulls in the 91 Eastern Conference Finals and just walking off. God, we've seen it before, and this is the damn fight game where heroes and villains are always sort of properly yeah, cast. Dude, hold on. But BC, I understand the point you're trying to make that like this, this is the same rage that propelled him. But two facts you just have to acknowledge here. First... All that rage didn't change the circumstance of the third fight. It made it better. It made it certainly more interesting. It got him a little bit further, for sure, no doubt about it. But in the end, that round seven in the second fight, with the towel notwithstanding, in terms of just so the the, the the authorities being, as it were, intervening, the third round, the third fight went exactly the same in that sense. More to the point, dude. As somebody who you know, listen. Anybody who's exactly the third run and the second. I don't mean exactly that the contours of the uh, the seventh round were the same as the eleventh. What I mean to say is, in the end, dude, you you got stopped. You got and this time, oh, you went out on your shield. Well, now there's zero debate about it. Like you got absolutely no uh, uh, excuse at this point to point to. Although maybe he will. I don't know. We'll see how things go. So one, it didn't it didn't materially improve your situation. You go to Wikipedia. There's still a, a big ass L on there the whole way through. It didn't change your fortunes. Number one. And number two, dude, if you keep carrying the salt from that wound over time, I don't give a shit how much you put on the weight room. It will, it will fucking bury you. You cannot use that all the time for success. It will either extinguish itself over time or it will consume you one way or the other. You can use – this is the truth about young men, BC, and you know this. You can use rage and rejection to get actually pretty far. 
but you cannot maximize yourself on the backs of those. And as long as he holds Most on people. to the idea that everything he did was right and there's no lesson to learn, dude, you will fucking repeat it, whether it's against Tyson Fury or somebody else. Okay, so you're you're right from a therapist point of view. You're, I mean, we saw Doc Five, right? You can't be carrying around that that rage and anger and 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 all that stuff. You need to heal and grow as people. Fighting's a little bit different, Luke. And some people, you remember that scene: a white man can't jump. I'm in an effing zone. I, you know, you. Most people play play worse when they're mad, but you're one of the rare ones who plays better. That's some Hollywood. people can just. Fuel. That's no, that's Hollywood. real life, Luke. Do you know what I am on the basketball court, Luke? I'm certainly not athletic. A, a nobody. <laughs> I, you know what I am? I'm a I'm a mental savant who comes after people, and that's why I get into so many near fist fights. Because Luke, I've been compensating for a lack of athleticism by playing mind games with people, including you in this show right now for years, brother. Okay. But number three, Luke, if I'm that far down on my points. Bro, that may work for general middle America. This is boxing. This is a guy who doesn't have foundational uh, tech technique at all. In fact, I just criticized him for 18 months. All he gained was muscle. He did nothing in that 18 months that in terms was applicable to that fight. Yet don't miss this, Luke. There's one man that can do this to him, and that's Tyson Fury. Everyone else, Wilder probably stops late. I'm at that point right now. All right, so we'll talk about that in just a second. The last thing on this is I'll just say is I don't think – that the lack of the sportsmanship towards Fury is a thing where we should like, oh, what a lout. You need to be a better sportsman. It's the fight game. People say mean things to each other and not everyone wants to shake hands at the end. I understand. What I merely mean to say is the third fight to me, BC, looked like what he wanted the second fight to be. Not so much the outcome, but the chances he wanted, the way it was going to go, changing things up, showing more of himself, putting Fury on the canvas, and then being, getting the chance to go out on his shield. He got, in a sense, what he wanted. And in the end, it did not improve his fortunes. In the end, he still got stopped. In the end, it was still an L. Dude, if you got to some place based on rage and rejection and fuck everybody, which I've been there a couple times, I'm not saying it's not valuable. It's actually pretty valuable. But the problem is it doesn't carry you to full potential. In fact, it hinders it exactly. And here is a chance for him to reflect on the fact that you got what you wanted. We got rid of Mark Breland. We got rid of all the people you said were poisonous. We, you got to go out on your shield. Now where are you? You're on your back looking up at the lights with another okay, L on there. Okay, Dude, what Luke. did it – how did it profit He also you? knocked down – he also twice dropped the best heavyweight of this era and four times overall in a three-fight rivalry, an unbeaten guy that no one's beaten and the only one to beat Wilder. I'm not saying this is great for Wilder socially, that he's going to be mentally healthy the rest of his career because he didn't shake this guy's hand. I'm saying to keep him who he is in this edge in the fight game – Everyone else probably gets knocked out against him, Luke. He found the one guy, and he put his best foot forward in the third fight, and we can't argue okay. that. This was not the second fight. The second fight was one-way traffic, and you know it, Luke. Right, but this is what I'm saying is the third fight was, I think, more of a representation of what he had hoped the second fight would have been. Not the ultimate outcome, obviously. He wanted to win. But what I'm saying is he got... He didn't, get a, he didn't get a corner who he thought was going to throw in the towel. He had a good strategy, at least from the beginning, right? Going to the body. Maybe that didn't work the whole way through, but it certainly put Tyson Fury off for that first round. He didn't know what the fuck he was looking at. I'm just pointing out, dude, if you're a true sportsman in this game, not sportsmanship, but a guy who wants to win and think about things, if you get your way, all right, let's try it your way. What did it get you? It's, of course, dude, incredible that he put Tyson Fury down two times in the fourth. All I'm pointing out is if you get your way and it doesn't ultimately change your fortunes, there is a moment as an adult man you have to reflect on that and say, 
How much did I profit from this? Some, but not enough to matter in the end in terms of winning and losing. Now, let's praise Deontay Wilder because I don't want to end on a sour note. With all that being said, BC, I love the point that you raised, and I agree with you. What's next? Joshua has to fight Usyk. They've triggered the rematch clause. They're going to do that one again. Fury, excuse me, Wilder might end up retiring. But assuming he stays around, BC, and it won't be next because we all know about all the, the mandatories and all the obstacles that are in there. But if Tyson Fury can barely withstand the power of a guy like Deontay Wilder, I'm not sure Anthony Joshua can. Gun to your head. If that version of Deontay Wilder fought the one we saw against Usyk, now granted he was lighter for Usyk and whatever, but that more or less that version, who wins? And I got to tell you, Joshua's the better boxer. I'm putting my money on Deontay Wilder. Yeah, I mean, look, I know there's a lot of people going, oh, wow, there's trash, and, you know, Usyk will outbox him. Of course Usyk would outbox him. The question is, can Usyk, in the second half of the fight, take these shots? Wilder's not going anywhere in these fights unless you can get him out of there. I think, you know, obviously Joshua, if he fought Wilder, has the power to do that. If it was a combustible brawl in the early on, yeah, Joshua could get him out of there, but... Dude, no, people don't have that type of will that Wilder showed and carry your power late like that. If he wants to continue, and I would hope, Luke, if he does, that he takes a considerable amount of time because he took a he took a beating in this sure fight. Did. I mean, let's not let's not sugarcoat that at all. Um, there's still money to be made, and I do think he's still a player because he's not relying on skill. Look, this like there's not a fight in which he's trying to outbox anybody. The only fight. Of his life that he won, that he didn't score a knockout, was the first fight against Stavern because he broke his right hand. So he tried with the left hook and it didn't work and he and he won a decision. So he's gonna that style will actually serve him well should he hang on, you know, too long in a twilight. I don't think we'll see a lot of him, but I do wonder if the pride inside of him, the warrior inside of him, the the spiteful guy that he's sort of built it up to be by by avoiding that handshake and giving sportsmanship its proper moment you know again it's it's boxing to me whatever um this you know this guy's been through a different path than a lot of us which has built that callus of the way he sees the world differently well probably incorrectly in some areas but it's his worldview dude you know whether pbc wants to eventually put him in with andy ruiz Hmm. or or he wants to wait around to see to fight the loser of joshua Usyk or whatever there's money to be made and I think he's going to be live in a lot of these fights. I think the real, the only question, Luke, is can he will himself again to be willing to do this? Because this was, let's not overlook what this fight offered Wilder. People think he's done now. Even though we respect him for the effort, the, the general consensus, if you ask anybody, would be, oh, he's done. We've seen him stop twice in a row now. He's done. I think people will overlook that it's only Fury that can do that. Um... What was at stake here was a lot. It was a complete repairing of his career. He could have, in some arguments, won the rivalry had he beat Fury here. I don't know if he can get to this level of desire, hunger, and commitment again. He would have to prove that to us, Luke. But, you know, if we see him at the second half of next year, I think that's probable. Yeah, yeah, and I got to say, I mean, this is the thing we mentioned at the top of the show. It is worth reiterating against guys not named Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder is 42-0. and 0. It's just a reality. If he puts gloves on anyone not named Tyson Fury, history has shown they simply don't last. And what he, what he tried, what he tried, once he stepped through those ropes, is a level of commitment you, won't, you will seldom see. 
you will seldom see somebody who is willing to give that much of themselves in pursuit of, frankly, by the eighth or ninth round, I won't say a hopeless cause, but a pretty damn distant one. And he was still trying, and he was still trying, and he was still trying. I agree with you. He, he took a bad beating. He should take some time off. But this is the part that I mean, BC, in the end. In the end, dude, even through this loss, I feel like the world is ready to accept Deontay Wilder for the great parts that he can offer boxing, which are considerable. I feel like the American audience finally got a bit of a wake-up call about how dangerous he is. I feel like he showed his power. You know, he didn't carry it late in the sense that he gassed, but it's just formidable against any name, including the very best one in boxing that we have today. When you reject that, you reject an opportunity, I think, frankly, to grow. I think, if anything, dude, he elevated his name and his stakes, and frankly, I, I think he became a much more popular figure in America by fighting a Brit. Dude, this is the last thing I'll say about Deontay Wilder. Like, dude, Joshua faced down Usyk, and he fought Klitschko, and he's fought, to your point, he's got the best resume on paper. But there's something special about now what we know about Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder not just fighting him three times, begging for the third fight. Could not wait to sign up against this guy. There is something very admirable about trying to beat the very, very, very best, especially when you're not quite handicapped in that sense, obviously, but when you have, relatively speaking, much less boxing skill. This dude tried to put it on the line against the very best, not once, not twice, but thrice. Didn't come up with the W, but you have got, got to respect that commitment. Yes, no? Yes, I agree with you. <laughs> what are you being the robot for? <laughs> uh, any final thoughts on Deontay? Uh, uh, no. Is he, are you okay? Did you just get like, did someone just die in front of you? What happened? Uh, well, I gave I gave you my best, all right? People I heard it. I gave you my best, let's, all right. That's the end there. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal. Okay. Let's talk a little UFC, BC. I don't know if you had a chance to catch it. I'm hoping you did since it's on the rundown, but we switched yeah, right. now. Look, I'm a professional, all right? All right, very good. Very, very good, very good. All right, so topic number four. UFC Vegas 39, I think it was, something like that. Mackenzie Dern came up short against Marina Rodriguez. We'll talk about Mackenzie in just a second, but first, for Rodriguez, BC, you'll get the first question. Was this win, in the way that it happened... Worthy of leapfrogging Carla Esparza to get the title shot, even counting the comments that Rodriguez made saying Esparza deserves it first. Uh, no, it wasn't enough. Look, Rodriguez is going to have look. This is a this is a star division. Let's be honest. It, it, it's it's the best women's division in terms of consistent matchmaking and the amount of legit title contenders. It's also a very marketable one. Rodriguez is not a a marketable personality or name and all that. She has to do it with style and skill. To her credit, we've only seen her lose once, and that split decision to Esparza. This was a strong win. Five rounds, gutsy, overcame what I thought should have been a 10-8 round across the board in round two, in which she spent most of it on her back, even in full mount, even though let's give her credit for applying that choke early and really making Dern uncomfortable. I have so many good things to say about Rodriguez in her adjustments and her ability to keep the, the final three rounds at distance on her best terms. She is a legitimate title contender, Luke. I actually think the, the fight to make is a rematch with her and Esparza uh, right now, especially if we're not really sure Rose Wei Lee could end up in a trilogy for all we know if the second fight is great. Also, Joanna's in the picture. It's a crowded area. The story's Mackenzie Dern, though, Luke. Let's be honest. Why is the story Mackenzie Dern? Because what we needed to have answered coming in here 
because Mackenzie Durham is a potentially big marketable force. We needed to find out if her game was well-rounded and elite enough, even though it's top-heavy in one area, the ground, to be able to eat to beat the perfect sort of potential elite gatekeeper in Rodriguez. And what we found out, Luke, is it wasn't. In 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 almost a humbling way, was it a cl- competitive fight? Yes, it won fight of the night. It, it was it was fun. There was action. There were twists and turns. But Mackenzie Dern not ready for prime time yet, Luke. Uh, in terms of beating somebody of this category. All right. Well, speaking of Rodriguez, first, I mean her three her last three fights. Well, since the Esparza loss, basically, which was a split decision. She stopped Amanda Hebas, she beat Waterson, and then she beat Dern here. That's a hell of a win streak. I mean, title shot worthy, I agree with you. Probably not enough either from a marketing standpoint, frankly, a meritocratic standpoint, a little bit more work to be done. You just don't quite have that case to leapfrog Esparza. So um, that should stay in the way that it was. I will say it reminded me a little bit, a little bit, just a tad, of like Rousey versus home, where you thought if Rousey could get home to the ground, the differential was so enormous, surely she would have her way with her. If you go back to that fight, Rousey did get home to the ground, if not once, maybe twice. And there were some pretty precarious moments, but in the end, she couldn't get it done. And then there was, obviously, she got finished on the feet. Dern did not. She had a little bit more to offer here. And it went the full distance. But people keep saying, like, oh, what Dern needs is her wrestling. Well, the wrestling is a big part of it. That's true. Obviously, on the ground, she needs no help whatsoever. But it just shows you in modern MMA, a couple things. One, on the ground, Rodriguez was no match for Dern. But she showed enough submission, defense, and positional awareness to basically defuse a bomb for four minutes straight. If you're Mackenzie Dern and you have someone on the ground for four minutes, you probably feel like that's you, the fight should not go on at that point, and it did. It just shows, even with modern jiu-jitsu and the best versions of it with Demi and Maya and Mackenzie Dern coming over... That can sometimes be against an opponent who is playing nothing but defense. They're parking the bus tomorrow from soccer. That's not necessarily enough to win, first of all. It, you win the round, but not, not the fight. And the second part I'd say is, dude, it's not just the wrestling. The striking has to get you into distance with it. And then once you're there, your opponent needs to be confused enough about what's coming to make the wrestling better. To me, dude, this was a regression from the last fight. I thought she was showing really good striking, Mackenzie Dern. Um, when she faced off against Nina Nunes, she had that nice trip. This one, to me, reminded me of the, the random Marcos fights or the Hannah Cyphers fights. Now, she won those fights, BC, but I didn't feel like the progression was still happening on areas, I guess, outside of jiu-jitsu. Yeah, th- this, was, this was a setback in, in a lot of ways. It's what happens when you step up to the level of competition where, to be fair, you, you, you have to be a complete fighter at, at this level to beat these type of fighters. And Dern is just not there, Luke. And I thought you... You brought up and look. You don't want to. You don't want to put too much negative on her because she, she stayed competitive and, and even somewhat dangerous for five rounds. And, and going to the five round level is always a leap at this point. But to, for Dern to have that level of dominance in round two, and really not have Rodriguez close to to anything bad, Luke, to get full mount again at, at a point in round three, even and be able to do nothing with it, that that's tough, Luke. That shows that she is you know far. Far from a finished product. Her striking game is so dependent upon upon controlling the terms. Like, things have to go Mackenzie Dern's way completely for her to have success. Meaning she can use her striking to get inside, take you down, and then just use that size and athleticism. But when you've got someone stubborn, defensively smart, who can make adjustments, and then can bring the fight back up to the feet, 
Mackenzie Dern's striking game offers no nuance up to this point. She does not know how to counter-strike whatsoever, does not know how to be successful unless she's coming forward looking to almost use her striking. And let's give her credit, she's figured out a right hand and knows how to use it as a weapon, but it's still a function of trying to get close to take her opponent down. And I think when you factor in, which you pointed out in the preview of this fight, her very low takedown percentage, she's still very raw, Luke. And there are... Parts of her game that are quasi-elite, conditioning, strength, uh, comfortability on the ground, all of that. And look, you know, she didn't fold. She didn't gas out, although I think it was fair after round two, she didn't have that same crispness to her cardio, which is sometimes a hard lesson you can only learn in your first five-round fight. Stipe Miocic had to learn that against Junior Dos Santos after some big success early in losing that fight in their first meeting. Uh, it's not enough to be afraid that Dern will never get there. She's still young, and the evolution has been fairly consistent the last three, four fights. But, Luke, not there yet, and, and really not that close yet to being there. And so I think there, there's, a, there's a lot she's going to have to go back and repair. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. It, it wasn't a, a, a disaster. It wasn't a total loss. But the truth of the fight, to me, is quite sobering. On the ground, I don't think there's really anyone in that division that can hang with her. But even with that differential, that doesn't mean... It. I had people tweeting me like, oh, she needs this one takedown and it's finished. Dude, no. That's just not how modern MMA works, man. Marina Rodriguez is not the same as Mackenzie Dern on the ground and literally never will be. But it, one takedown, it, this is magical thinking at the modern game at the highest level. It's simply not enough. And the sobering reality is like, dude, it's not just the wrestling. It's not just the striking. It's just, it's just development overall that kind of has to happen, that kind of has to work. I'd even argue... While her jiu-jitsu was dominant, maybe tailoring that towards some other types of attacks, hunting the back more regularly or whatever it may be, than rather just, you know, she was doing a lot of knee cut passing on top, which again, I'm not here to say that my jiu-jitsu was better. It's not, or I understand it better. I'm just saying, if you got a guy down for four, or an opponent down for four minutes and you can't finish him off, there might be some alternative ways to approach this. Anyway, it was a bit of a reset moment, I thought, in the, uh, the career of Mackenzie Duran. She was beginning to build... This is going to be another one of those moments where she's going to have to pivot off of and then have another growth opportunity on top of it. Rodriguez looks like we'll have to wait for a title shot after another bout. She needs we'll more skill, Luke. She needs, she needs more skill. I think she relied for so long on size and athleticism for this weight class, and it, it's not going to cut it against the elites. It, it's just not. It's not. All right, so point number five, BC. Last but certainly not least, who else from UFC Vegas – 39. Of course, this was the card over the weekend. Mackenzie Dern and Rodriguez were headlining. Who else from that card either impressed you in a good way, stood out to you in a bad way? Give me a shout out of someone that deserves one for better or for worse. Yeah, not a deep card coming in. And again, I give ESPN and UFC credit to not have it go against the Wilder Fury fight. And they put it on earlier in the day. But Maria Agapova, Agapova from Kazakhstan, Luka, women's flyweight. Uh, this is the kind of comeback win that she needed. The, the way that she lost to Shanna Dobson as a minus 1,000 favorite after coming in last time with so much hype as like the next big thing here, uh, looking like Ioana with the, with the quick activity levels and the confidence and the swagger. Luke, this comeback win against Sabrina, Sabina Mazo, you're the first Colombian female fighter to enter the octagon, was thorough, was devastating, was crisp on the striking. I'm not saying that at, that Maria is, is ready for title contention or anything like that. There are so many questions she still needs answered on the ground in a lot of efforts of her game beyond just setting people up with that left cross. But I don't think you can overvalue Luke mentally 
what it, the type of loss she had against Dobson can do to you as a fighter. I mean, she absolutely crumbled fatigue-wise, mentally, and essentially almost like tapped out due to strikes at one. I mean, it was just like a complete, like, I am done. She came back, got in the best shape of her career. They mentioned on the broadcast that she had some personal setbacks. People had to give her money to be able to figure out her, you know, to do a full training camp. Whatever combination she did to come back, she she put the wheels back on the on the car, and she's back on the road, Luke. This was very good. I mean, that striking is going to be hard to beat in this division. Let's see if she can continue to grow with the right types of matchmaking to, to round out the parts of her game that need to. I mean, she had Mazo's number from the word go. That means they had a good game plan, and they had scouted Mazo well. It, it worked, I don't know if to perfection, but it worked pretty goddamn well early, and they just stuck to it. And Mazo couldn't really make any adjustments. She was trying to feint to get Mazo, excuse me, to get uh, Agapova to throw first. Worked on occasion, and when she did, you know, Mazo was beginning to land. But Mazo is one of these types where she got famous from these two sort of head kicks that went viral from LFA or one of the regional shows. And the reason why is because when she can begin to get the hands going in rhythm and in volume, she sets up the legs and then therefore, you know, she has the success that she has, right? But it's all part of A, overall volume and B, high low. If she can't ever really get going with the hands, there's not much else there for her to adjust to. Agapova never let her. And dude, that right hand that set her down, she took every ounce of that punch. And credit to Agapova, man, jumping on the back. See, this is the thing I, I wrote on Twitter at the time. How many times have you seen someone take a, 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 they take a nice punch and they look hurt and then their opponent goes to take them down, their, their opponent recovers. Here's a case where Agapova drilled her opponent, dropped her, and then clamped onto the back, BC. So even if the choke yeah. didn't work, I'm in an advantageous position to keep trying thereafter. That's a much better tactical decision to your point where she just kind of collapsed against Shayna Dobson the last time. Good improvement. I mean, she's only 24 and I think what's most important is she figured out how to be patient without lowering her activity level. Like right? she took away the recklessness, but she stayed she stayed dangerous and uh she's she's someone to watch, Luke. There's still there's still a lot that needs to be done, but she's someone to watch. Uh I would give a quick shout out if I could to Damon Jackson on the prelim card who defeated Charles Rosa via 29-28 and then 29-27 and 30-27. Dude, losing what could only be described as a medically alarming amount of blood. Charles Rosa hit him with a spinning back elbow, and it cut him right along the side of the face, basically right over or above the temple in a vertical line, right? And this thing was and not just – to say it was leaking blood would not be accurate. It was billowing blood it was surging blood it looked like a geyser there was so much blood that had spilled which by the way when he was making a wrestling heavy game plan that makes it even harder it kind of acts in a gross way as a bit of a lubricant unfortunately so even with that he was able to get the win he stayed uh he didn't get distracted he didn't get bothered and um charles rosa a tough competitor especially in the way in which that jackson was trying to fight him but he got it done so i'm sure that's been a bit of a rough recovery but uh yeah. credit to Luke, him for you, not you losing bearing you know what no man wants to talk about again? You mm. ever look at the floor in the birthing room after birth? Oh, it's a it's a murder scene. Uh, that's what the the freaking cage looked like after that fight the rest of the way, Luke. We haven't seen that type of size stain on the UFC octagon in a while. You know, that's old school. That's like 2006-looking stains that we used to yeah, see. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Uh, okay, before we get to DMs with Donks, I forgot this at the top of the show. I want to remind folks, if you haven't done it yet, please leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. And in fact, uh, our producers are telling us if you leave a review and you make it funny, 
The producers will pick the funniest review, and you'll get a $50 gift card. So leave a five-star review. Give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Make it funny, and we'll pick one winner, and we'll send you, uh, and we'll send you some scratch. How about that? Even more, Luke, our, our merch maven, RJ Grundlemaker, has let us know that that special code in honor of 100K today on our morningcombat.store website, which I believe is thank you 100K, uh, we're going to extend that, Luke, for, for 24 full hours for 20% off of our merchandise at morningcombat.store. So take advantage of that. Leave the Apple review. Bring your best stuff. Winner gets 50 bucks. Luke, why not use that 50 bucks to, uh, to, to outfit yourself in this at, the, at your kid's soccer game? I mean, you know, you could do a lot worse than this, Luke. You could do a lot worse. I certainly agree. And Luke, before right. you continue, by the way, you and I will be... Uh, We'll be in the damn Orchids of Combat this week, bro. That's right. We're going to be back in studio on Wednesday, and uh, we'll be there for a Wednesday show. Friday show, we'll have some Bellator coverage for you and maybe some other surprises. So stay tuned. Should be fun. Uh, all right, BC. It is time for us to entertain the questions from the audience. It's time for DMs from dogs. Hee-haw. 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 All right, BC from Kieran underscore Edwards 2. That's a good question. With Fury now breaking both the Versace robe and Drake curses, I didn't even know about the Drake curse, would him breaking the resume review curse make him the goat of all existence? I think wow. so. So let's say he let's say he fought Dillian White next, which if our MMA fans aren't, aren't aware, Dillian White is a very capable out in this boxing game. Fury would be a, a clear favorite, but White's big, he's strong, all that. And we picked Fury for the resume review curse, and he beat it, Luke. I don't know. We, we're doing one before that, Luke, that we'll see if the curse is still standing. But that would be remarkable if he could end all curses. All I was right? about to say, if, he, if we did one on him and, the, and he ended it, especially if we get to, like, 0 and 10 or something, we might have to just change the show to, like, Tyson Fury. He's got big old balls, you know, combat yeah. or whatever yeah. the case. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, all right. From Tyson underscore calm. Would Mark Breland have thrown in the towel on Deontay Wilder? I think he means on Saturday night. It's actually not a bad question, BC. What do you think? It's not, but I don't believe so. People really need to remember how bad Wilder was in that second fight in terms of like, okay, so he was dragging in this fight. He was in zombie mode, but again, he had flurries of action at the end of so many of these rounds that he kept himself in the fight. He wasn't in that second fight in any circumstance. And Luke, he also had blood coming out of his ear in the second fight, which he had upon the knockout here in the third fight. But, you know, you got blood coming from your ear, whether from a cut or internal. I mean, look, that that's that seems to be next level. He had a busted up face. Um, I did see Mark Breland, by the way, after the fight, put out a video of himself inside a ring in a, in a hotel in Atlantic City, just shadow boxing, and he wrote, great fight. I don't think there was anything negative there. I think he was just just, uh, you know, but look, at the end of the day, um, Wilder got what he wanted, but he also didn't put himself into a position where Malik Scott or Jay Diaz or, or Don House would have had to make a really tough decision, Luke. Although, did you hear that they literally did not allow towels in the corner so that the fight couldn't be? I mean, that's just, okay, that's ridiculous, Luke. All right. That's just so stupid. And frankly, dude, I, I got to say, I saw this before, like Malik Scott was like, oh, there's no way I'll throw it. Let me explain something to you, man. You know, I, not that I'm encouraging lying before the commission, but the commission should not give a license to anyone who says, I'm never throwing the towel. 
Sorry, yes. you don't yes. get one. You don't get one. You know, I, I don't know how to solve the problem of people saying, oh, I'll throw it, and they never do. That's a separate issue. But if you're just pledging to never throw it, get the fuck out of here. I'm not, I'm not okay with that at I all. Mean, you think, I mean, Balboa has to live with that the rest of his life, Luke. Exactly. The one thing I would say about this is um, there were definitely some weird spots in this fight, BC, where it got a little hairy, you know? But it never reached that moment where you were like, well, maybe after the tenth, maybe maybe they could have maybe you know, uh, Breland would have no, been like, Luke, "I'm not sending you back out for the eleventh. He had his best work. He saved himself. He had his best work to close the tenth. Wow, there. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll say this: a different referee and a different corner potentially could have. But you're right. The second fight, he got knocked down in the third. He got knocked down in the fifth, and he was never in that fight. There were moments in this fight. Several big ones, in fact, where he was definitely in it. So a little bit different in that case. We should hire uh, Mark Breland, Luke. When we're on a topic too long, you know, sometimes you and I just argue and linger, and our producers hit us in the chat. They're like, guys, on. we should probably move on to the MMA so the core fans don't get mad. We should just hire Mark Breland to sit in, like, the stack guy role and just have the towel ready. I agree. You can pay for it. All right. From Julian underscore B underscore I, I think. Should Wilder have taken a tune-up fight before this one? Dude, what would that have done for him? Nothing. No, fuck no. No, no. 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 Look, what would that he, have done? If he w the only way he, he could have or should have is if they were literally trying to turn him into a boxer. If they had thought the second fight was like, okay, we can't do this at the elite level anymore. You can't just stalk people and try to knock them out late in the fight. They didn't do that. Okay, yeah, they, they, had, they worked the body a little, and he tried his jab a few times. But again, once once that became a fight, it was a fight. There nothing to be gained there. Uh, they from... actually benefited, Luke. They benefited from Fury not being, you know, the Fury of 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 recent memory in this fight. Sure, sure. He was a little bit it was a little bit off, I thought in this one, but still obviously quite good. All right, from at Scott McCrate, BC. Can you school me on the ten count rule in boxing? What happens if it takes the ref, let's say? 15 to 20 seconds to count, is that still considered a 10 count? One sort of note here, BC, just to sort of like, you know what? Answer it. Go ahead. What do you, what do you think? Okay, um, so here's where a lot of people get it wrong. DC got it wrong on Twitter. I think even Andre Ward was sort of speculating, was that second knockdown in round four when Fury went down, was that a long count? Was this Dempsey, freaking uh, Gene Tunney all over again? No, it wasn't. Here's what people forget. It's not 10 seconds. It's a 10 count. And it's at the discretion of the referee. The timekeeper begins the count as soon as the fighter goes down. And as you often see, once the referee gets into position, he turns around to look at the timekeeper who's going two, three. And he usually picks up the count by three or four. From the moment the referee picks up the count, it becomes his count at his cadence. Does that lead a potential for a slow or fast count? Potentially, yes. But the potential controversy on that second knockdown in Route 4 was people put their stopwatch to it. It's like, oh, he was down for 20 seconds. Well, here's the reason why. Wilder didn't do what you're supposed to do, which is as soon as you knock somebody down, you go to a neutral corner and stay there. He was a little bit too happy that he was close to a stoppage and was lingering, and boxing rules are plain, uh, written, it's referee's discretion. If someone's not going to the neutral corner, he pauses the count, puts them in the neutral corner, comes back to regain it. So some people were saying, oh, you know, if it, if it was a real 10 seconds, Fury wouldn't have gotten up. The thing about Fury on both of those knockdowns is he was clear-eyed. Clear-eyed. He was not, 
you know, wobbly on, on Queer Street, as they say, or they used to say, Luke. Luckily, they don't say that anymore. He was he was hurt. He was dropped, but he was clear eyed. So he was waiting for the count, meaning if the count was fast, he would have got up fast. But he's a veteran. He knows to get up at eight. The referee will rub off his gloves and then we'll continue. So um, the reason why we have that rule is if watch boxing from the 30s, 40s or 50s, when somebody knocks somebody out, you could stand over him ready to deliver the boom again. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I'm glad they changed that rule, Luke. And Wilder didn't adhere to that rule. So Mora kept the count on his own terms. And that's that's how it works, dude. I mean, what do we what do we want here? What are we trying to say here? Can't add anything better to that. That's a great answer. Um, all right, another one on the boxing side. I think folks are interested. By the way, we never really talked about this part. I mean, we kind of mentioned it, but like it's worth sort of saying out loud. I liked that the promoter did an all-heavyweight card. I'm not sure it worked out as they had hoped, main event notwithstanding, but co-main down. Jogba and Sanchez wasn't exactly what we had thought. Hellenus, I thought, was the big winner on the main card. Uh, and then obviously that kid Anderson has a long way to go, but he looks pretty good. What did you make of them doing an all-heavyweight card? Did you like it? I loved it. It reminded me of, of the glory days of Don King in the 1990s when we had so many of these. One of the best ones uh, was Madison Square Garden. I think it was 96, a very underrated fight when Lennox Lewis, fresh off the knockout, uh, fresh off losing his title against Oliver McCall, had to go in there against a prime Ray Mercer in a 10-round war. That card was all heavyweights. I love that, Luke. Um, I thought that that was great matching making, matchmaking in that co-main. Uh, F.A. Ajagba is not there, but his record told you he needed to fight somebody legit. And he fought unbeaten Frank Sanchez, who has the Cuban school, along with being a puncher. And, you know, he relied on that. It, uh, yeah, there was a sketchy maybe knockdown when Ajagba took a knee and uh, Sanchez landed one more punch. But uh, that was a strong performance. And as you mentioned, Hellenius came back against Kovnatsky and beat the breaks off of him a second Dude, time. he fucked him up. Now, speaking of that fight, last question from Shark Attack 316. Hellenius defeated Kovnatsky via DQ Saturday after Kovnatsky was warned once, actually he was warned a couple times of the referee, to not hit below the belt immediately, then DQ'd after it happened a second time. No, he had a point taken, if memory serves. He was warned, then he had a point taken, BC, and then he was DQ'd. But the question is still pretty relevant, which is, why do we see officials make this decision swiftly and firmly in boxing, yet in MMA, Fighters seemingly can execute multiple groin shots in one fight without ever being disqualified or even docked a point by some of our best referees. What do you say, BC? Um, the, it's not always like that in boxing. Go watch <laughs> Abner Morris versus Joseph Agbeko. The same Russell Mora that we praised for his work in Saturday night's main event allowed Abner Morris to land about 79 shots to the balls against Agbeko. And even Jim Gray in the Showtime interview afterwards got on him, got up in that ass, and Mora was like, no, they weren't low. Good God, I even brought that up to Abner Mars last time I saw him, Luke, and he was like, don't bring that fight up to me. Please, don't do it. Um, Luke, it was a swift judgment. By the way, just so people know, first of all, Kovnatsky now has lost twice when he was unbeaten to the same guy in the same way. Luke, that style is not sustainable, by the way, to uh, to just walk into people and just throw punches without any defense. You meet a stiff puncher, you're going to get out of there. He did. Um, I thought that... Um, the DQ was the wrong call, and actually they changed it. Even though it was announced as a DQ, the referee afterwards told the commission that he cho he chose to make it a TKO because he felt the fight was ready to be stopped anyway, given the swell the swell on uh, Kovnatsky's eye. So a little bit of weirdness there, but the overall spirit of the question, Luke, he was swift. He went right after it. He didn't want that infraction. It happened again. He delivered the boom and, and gave a point, and then the second time ended the fight. I wish we could see more of that. I don't like Luke when uh, 
when we can see eye pokes or, or groin shots that can really sway the momentum of a fight and not have any penalty behind it. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, these are good answers from UBC. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, sir, we go from the serious and uh, the not-so-fun to the frivolous and fun, idiotic. BC, take it away, Thank good, sir. Thank you, Luke. Um, if this is your first time on this thing, we have a segment called Have You Seen the Shit? In which your boy BC scours the globe for the good, the bad, the ugly, the highs, the lows, the in-between in combat, sports, and beyond. Really, have you seen this shit? Oh, God. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go to Las Vegas, Luke. Fury, Wilder 3. I want you to rate the walkouts. First, check out Wilder's <laughs> Mask, Luke. I, I liked Wilder's Mask. I thought it was pretty cool. You know, it was relative to the last time, understated. But I like the red. You know, it got that blood red. It looked, stood out. You know, I like it. It's good. He had the robe with the hair on it. It was pretty cool. You know, it didn't weigh 40 pounds. So that was the big winner here. Exactly. Luke's. Tyson Fury came out very Spartan-like. I'll get to his cavalcade around him, but what did you think of the Gypsy King's almost Roman gladiator look here? Well, I liked his look, but the, uh, you know, the middle America yoga teacher, who also is a vegan who lives in his van, was a little bit yes. not for me. Luke, you're referencing the MVP on this weird night. Uh, this creeper left many wondering exactly who is he. He had long, painted black, pointy nails. He played a, I don't know, what do you call that? A, a Sharif? A Sharif? A, a Sharif Abdur Rahim? I don't know what it is. That's what he played. He played Sharif's uh, pipe there. Luke, uh, yeah. he was creepy. A lot of people wonder. I, I chose, by the way, not to play the video of him dancing because it was it creeped me out. We just went with a still picture. But Luke, turns out we found out who it was. Let's go to UFC welterweight Michael Chiesa's tweet. Still buzzing about last night, but I had a blast leading Fury out to the ring. <laughs> that's a good zing. That's a good bet. That's well played. That's a good, I got to say, dude, like, here's the thing, man. You know, everyone was like, oh, Brian Ortega came out with those purge masks. That wasn't for me, but I appreciate the attempt. I like that fighters are attempting to bring a little bit of dimension to their walkout. But, dude, as long as they're under the thumb of no fun Dana White, you're never going to get shit like this unless you just watch yeah. boxing. Period. No one else is doing it like this. I, 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 I'd rather have this than not have this, if that makes sense. We didn't have this a few years ago, really. I mean, you had the occasional, there was that dude, what was it, Sharif Bogary? He used to fight on Showtime a lot. He would come out in a cage dressed like a panther or something, Luke. But we don't see this too often. Really, I think Anthony Joshua's uh, ring walks in those stadiums with the AJ on fire, that started to change the game a bit. I'm glad that we have it now. I like this pro wrestling bullshit. You? 
Yeah, uh, you know what? If the fights deliver like in the ways that these two have been delivering for us all three times, they can do whatever they want at the beginning of it as far as, far as I'm concerned. All right. You referenced uh, Tyson Fury after the win, Luke. His shirt was still out, but he went to Wet Republic to join famous DJ Steve Aoki, Aoki for a nice shirtless COVID-free hug, dude, Luke. And then dude, uh, he, Tyson Fury is amazing. He looks like a contestant who's six weeks into The Biggest Loser. Doesn't care. Just beat Deontay Wilder in a vicious boxing match where he was stopped. No, not stopped, but uh, put down twice. Here he is after getting, I'm sure, the least amount of medical care imaginable, showing up to a COVID party, not caring. The guy's had it twice. I'm sure he's fine. And, uh, and just living life like he's Arnold Schwarzenegger after his seventh Olympia. It's unbelievable. This guy's confidence. His, I, I wish I had his confidence. I really do. Yeah. You wish you had his BDE. That's his wife, Paris, in front of him. <laughs> and uh, and also, Luke, uh, people look at his gut a lot and think differently. If you listen closely to the interviews, like the one he did with Ariel talking about mental health, he was training twice a day, even before you know, even before the training camp for this fight, just to keep his mental health at, in line. And, and the, the team feared that he was overtraining and might burn out. But, dude, to keep that 277-pound frame going for 11 and a half rounds at that pace... That's something. Luke, you don't That's see amazing. heavyweights with that type of stamina, man. You know, like, really, you don't. No, and there was a couple times where I thought he got a little bit tired, especially if Deontay maybe had a flurry of sorts. But you just can't ever say he had bad cardio. He didn't. He didn't. Yeah. He really is. He's something special, this guy. Damn near went tip to tip with that DJ. All right, Luke, fight night in Vegas, UFC style. I mentioned Maria Agapova, Luke. She brought the swagger back after that KO loss. It, it, she still got it, Luke. Look at this. Yeah, she's 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 a spark plug. And then this was the finish we talked about. Just violent and efficient as shit. Look at this right hand. Boom. I mean, uh, that is that is just too good. That is just too good. I didn't even give her a chance. No. Once she Instant planted tap. her hands. Just, yeah. here, here's a small little detail, BC. Watch this. She drops her. Watch the right foot, the right foot of Agapova come all the way through yeah. so she can body triangle. You see the body triangle? She immediately had a body triangle before the choke was even sunk. Uh, amazing. With that length, if she can become a submission uh, you know, prospect too as well, along with the striking, she, she's going to be something, Luke. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Charles Rosa, the featherweight, had the war with uh, Damon Jackson. Here's that sneaky Yair Rodriguez style elbow, Luke. You see this shit? Yeah, I was watching this live, and he hits it with a clean bop, just like oh. that. And watch the blood just seep. You can't see Rosa here once they change once they change angles here, and you could see the referee Tyone was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, he would go on to lose the decision, Rosa, but he did land this ridiculous elbow, Luke. I remember the first time I heard a fighter like brush off blood. It was Tim Kennedy in Strikeforce years ago. And he was like, dude, guys, guys, I'm fine. It's just blood. I'm like, oh, that thing that gives you life? <laughs> yeah, it's just <laughs> leaking all over the floor. Luke, co-main event, Randy Brown kicked Jared Gordon right in the damn mouth. You see that shit? Damn. Yeah, I did. And he had fucked up toes. Not, not by this point, or maybe this was the one that did it. His toes got dislocated, and he, he had to fight through it. Uh, pretty impressive performance. And Gordon the had, opening... missed, or had missed weight, so he was pretty pissed, or uh, Brown was. Yeah, catch weight bout in the end. In the opening fight, lightweight Charlie Ontiveros wobbled Steve Garcia with this axe kick before going on to lose by stoppage himself, Luke, but this was a fun highlight. 
Yeah, it really was. He gets rocked here, but dude, Garcia, credit to him. Good poise, good posture, stayed calm, got his wits about him, and then put on a savage ground and pound finish. Um, good work by him. Ontiveros goes to the same barber apparently as Johnny Walker, Luke. All right, DAZN Boxing from the UK. How about this dedication? On Saturday, former Canelo foe Liam Beefy Smith stops Anthony Fowler in the Battle of Liverpool. Good mm. win there for the former junior middleweight world champion, brother of Callum Smith and the fighting four Smith brothers. The next morning on Saturday, Sunday, Luke shows up at his footy game and even scores a goal. How about that, Luke? Can we advance yeah. the slide? There you go. Well, I got to say, they had interviewed on DAZN DC United legend Wayne Rooney, and he was sized for it because it was an all-Liverpool affair. Um, but I did not see this part. Yeah, I don't have video of the goal, but that's him suiting up the next morning. I guess that's what happens when you win. Luke, on the same DAZN card, a fight of the year contender at 154 as Troy Williamson rallies in round 10 to stop oh, the big cheese, Ted Cheeseman, in brutal fashion. I did see this. This dude gets laid the fuck out. Boop, boop. It was a good fight. Bop. Oh, oh. what? Oh, boy. Woo. Yeah, he did the old. When they, when they go back with one leg to the side and one leg out in front, there's the towel, too. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's, that's when the show is over. The big cheese is flawed, man. He's a fun fighter. He puts it out there, but he leaves his chin out to be had. And now he's lost a few times. Luke, I don't know what's next for that fella, but... Uh, he got sliced up Swiss style. Luke, the best knockout of the week, or maybe the saddest, came BKFC in Oklahoma. Joe Riggs oh sending Melvin Gillard through the ropes in just 59 seconds of round one. Dude, Melvin Gillard is not even recognizable at this point. Um, and he had a broken orbital from this, so I don't mean to diminish that. Like, I'm sure he got hit very hard. But he like is out of shape. The guy's been you know in bar fights that were documented and got in legal yeah. trouble. I'm not even sure. He's on like an epic losing streak. I'm not even sure like how, how he's getting a license to compete. Do Bare Knuckle, Look, he's, they need to clean up some stuff. I mean, they, they, they come back from the unfortunate death of a fighter by putting a 38-year-old Gallard who's lost four straight Bare Knuckle fights and nine straight MMA bouts to close right. out his career right. there. That's what I mean. Like they're, yeah. not, they're, not, they're not executing on best practices here. Luke, a lot of talk about the Reebok to Venom transition in Poland, though. They're not fooling around with fighter advertisements here. <laughs> what the fuck? Is that this a tattoo? Is, uh, so when you get a tattoo, they put on a stencil first. Is that a tattoo stencil? What the fuck is that? They're, they're like advertisement temporary patches. It's very similar to like Bernard Hopkins wearing goldenpalace.com on his back back in you the see, people don't You see, people don't remember that. You and I lived through... MMA 2 did this for a while until UFC basically banned it. But guys used to get the, their backs spray-painted with ads on them from like one of the famous places was Golden Palace. And they would just do that for money. And you'd be like, wow, man, that's a little it's genius, but it's a little sad. A little sad. Yeah, Rico Rodriguez told me that UFC never gives him any historical praise because... They told him not to do that for his title, def his one and only title defense there when he lost the belt to Randy. Well, no, he beat Randy. Tim, and then who Tim Sylvia. He lost to Tim Sylvia. Yeah, and, he, and it was at Mohegan, and they said no other casino ads, and he put Golden Palace on his back, and Dana tried to kill him, and yeah, there you go. Or maybe because yeah, he just wasn't a great fighter, Luke. That's possible, right? Rico was good in his day.
Okay. Hey, Luke, let's go over to a big week for Conor McGregor in South Florida. First, the Notorious caught a shark from his back garden. I don't know much more details to this. Do you think it really happened? Looks like a shark to me. Okay. I don't. I mean, did he catch it with a fishing pole, or was he hanging out with some deep-sea divers? I don't know, Luke. Yeah, that part I'm not so sure about. But, uh, yeah, it's a big-ass fucking shark. McGregor, no stranger to fish scales, of course, Luke. But that wasn't the only thing that happened in the past week in Miami. He got a key to the city from Mayor Suarez some 19 months after he was arrested in that same city, Luke, for felony battery when he when he broke that guy's cell phone. Can we can you zoom in here? Can we see the family smiling? BC, we should go to that club and get into a fist fight with one another. We can just pretend, get arrested, and then go get the, the key to the city there. You think yes, that would work? Yes. I'd like you to get the key to old Marietta and then like clean out your earwax and just throw it at him, Luke. And be like, I never knew you. I never needed you, okay? I'm from Doha, bitch. Yes. Doha. All right, Luke. Luke, some guys have all the luck, but guitar players still get all the poontang. Watch this guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Look at the reaction, too, at? Luke. I Slash put that out there. Don't look at me, okay? Okay, that's mildly disturbing. Yeah, well, I, I kind of enjoyed it, Luke. And the reaction was huge, too. Look at her. She loves it, Luke. I think she's All acting. right. Maybe we just... I think we just got canceled. Uh, Luke, best fails of the week. Check out this chick trying to navigate the staircase at a college party. Oh, oh boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know what? In fairness, it is hard to walk with Doc Martens on when the beer is... Uh, when I should say when the floor is covered in uh, Natty Light yeah. and Beast Light. Luke, you ever hook up after a chick threw up or caught a black eye or anything? No comment. <clears throat> okay, all right. Hey, Luke, that's not the worst fail. Let's keep the fail countdown going. Here's winter gymnastics gone wrong. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> but, Luke, we know your favorite fails come in the gym. Watch this guy. This may be the all-time worst. I love gym fail. Are you sitting up for the snatch? Let's see. Oh, 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 God. Now, I can't quite tell because the video is grainy, but it looks to me like he's got straps on, which is why his hands are tied to the bar. And that bitch just rolls his ass forward. I mean, look at that. That's how I, I mean, this is how I feel every Monday morning when we don't have 100K on there. Oh, oh look God. at that. Ass in the air. Luke, I'm going to put my ass the week, in though, the kid. air. Oh, that's bad. That's bad. Uh, ESPN's David Jacoby of Jalen and Jacoby fame tried to join the Bills Mafia this weekend, Luke. Uh, I mean, is there is there a you, dumber fan base than this one? Jacoby, a, a Grantland veteran. Shout out to him. You know, it's funny but, is uh, the the Bills are a good team. Who they beat the Chiefs last night, right? Like they're yes, a good team. Yes. And what what is this? Will you stop? You work in television. Get the fuck off the cooler. I mean, you suck. Get the fuck off. Yeah, Get that, what that are you? Didn't... You suck. Worse yeah. shit. If you're gonna do it, motherfucker, that table needs to be on fire, and you need to disintegrate it with how hard you're yeah. coming down on that thing. What is the lamest shit ever? I, I can't argue against that, Luke. Oh, uh, people think all we fit show are fails and questionable things like guys pulling a guitar out of their penis hole, Luke. But how about this this wholesome video that's making the rounds after Robbie Lawler stopped? Nick Diaz in their rematch. Are you good? Are you good in life? No, that's fucking different. Look, look, you know what I'm saying? What can I do to help you? Look, he, he basically gave Nick like a, like a, you know, a, 
put the armor on them, said, what can I do in life to help you? I mean, the, Robbie Lawler's a, he's a real one, Luke. I needed this from you after I had asked John Jones a question in 2017. I needed this from you. <laughs> Where were you? Nowhere to be found. Let's fucking get there. You know what I'm saying, Luke? <laughs> All right. All right. Hey, leftover from Fury Wilder week. Did you check out the uh, He's unbelievable. See, by the way, isn't this much better? Remember that when Connor was going to fight Mayweather and then he painted that mural of Mayweather getting stole on and in the end he, you know, fat lot of good it did him. This is to me a little bit more modest and a little bit funnier anyway. Big Dosser. Yeah. Luke, I told you last week that the Roly Romero Gervonta Davis Showtime pay-per-view fight that uh Davis announced could be a fun build. Let's let's zoom in on this and see this this troll job put out there by Roly. <laughs> Testing out new sparring partners for the tank fight. Same height, same reach, southpaw, and higher IQ. I found the whole package right here. Luke, he's sparring a ch damn toddler. Dude, he is... Uh, he's going to get hurt. He's going to get hurt. <laughs> I hate to say it. I know we have to cover that fight. I'm, I'm happy to cover it. I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm excited about it. And Roley makes it interesting. Bro, he's going to get stretched. I mean, it's just well, the way it's going to go. He's going to try to do the stretching, too, okay? Okay? It's going to be fun to watch, Luke. All right? We'll see. I can't Tank wait to is, get him Tank on the is, show. Tank is going to send him to the land of wind and ghosts. But up until that moment, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Luke, let's see the strip club sign of the week. Your thoughts? Showgirl 3. The midget is... <laughs> Dude, uh, Nick DiPaolo, when I grew up, Nick DiPaolo was one of my favorite comedians. He's turned into something of a right-wing reactionary and not that funny anymore. But he had a joke. He's like, you've been driving down America's highways. The, the advertisements for strip clubs is no different than fishing stores. It's like live girls. It's like, oh, they're alive. But what are these? What are they, fucking fishing bait? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. you just you get I mean, the I love that there's shit. no other... No other details needed. They just put that in the sign. People know I got. I got to be. I got to get there. I got to get back there. You know. And they didn't say which midget. Just the midget. Like okay, all right, sweet. The notorious one for sure. All right, Luke. Rate my ta ass cheeks edition. This is the Andy Ruiz one we've been talking about. Yeah. Tattoo on assy. Um, Luke, I don't like this trend at all. It's not really a trend. Um, it's been going on for centuries. But uh, it's a good tattoo. It's a very good tattoo. I know. I know folks are like. Each... I mean, what is it? What is on his ass, Luke? So, well, you know what? The face there is a little bit of an issue. But people might be asking why you get the whole ass tattooed instead of just the lower back. The problem is, if you look at the human body, it's shaped like a rectangle. Obviously, you know there are differences here and there, but more or less, it's like a rectangle. And when you cut it off at just the waist. It creates actually a weird visual on the back. The back is not really designed for that. When you sweep across into like the lower thighs, like uh, some of the, the Japanese style do, you actually get the elongated picture to fit more, more readily on the back. And so that's why you would tattoo some of the ass and then the back of the thighs uh, with a, what's called like a Japanese bodysuit. Um, this is not Japanese. This is sort of like, I don't know. Um, you see like sort of American... Uh, gangster okay, almost a little bit i know you're you're more into actually grading the technique and the you know i'm actually wondering how did he do it does he lay on his stomach and they actually sp spread his ass because they're like real yes. deep inside in fact if you, in fact there's a science to how deep you get the whole idea is to go into the crack far enough where if they're standing normally you can't see any untattooed skin yeah 
It's a real thing. You're supporting this. You're supporting a man like, hey, Andy, why don't you just get on all fours? We'll just spread. Yeah, we gotta get we gotta get as close as to the we gotta get we gotta get the Grundle track. We gotta get as close to the anus as we can. I mean, what yes. what is it? What water, bro? Water, please. You know. Yes, that is. Uh, I would absolutely not. I wouldn't get this tattoo, but for the right back piece, yeah, I would absolutely get that. Mm-hmm. You would get an ass tat. Sure. Uh, Manich says, "Spoken like a man who has an ass tat right now." Luke. No, I don't. I got, <laughs> I got ass pimples. If the. <laughs> Luke, if you get it, I'm not kidding. Plenty, here. plenty of if blood. If you get an ass uh, tat, if you get an ass tat, like first of all, I don't need to see it. Just if you one day go, hey, bro, I got the, I got the whole ass done. Like that's it. We're you're off the show, bro. We're done. We're done. Yeah. Right? Like, well, what if not- I? But what if I got one as part of a giant back piece that went also past my lower legs? Nah, just a, nah, bro. No? Nah. No. So you're just gonna be like, you're just gonna be like, yeah. Do you want me to lift my legs so I can spread the whole cheeks for you, uh, tattoo artist man? Like, no, Luke. Come on, this is. All right, Luke, not everybody loved it. Here's boxer Ishe Smith reacting to it. I, I don't disagree, Luke. I miss my I miss his era too, okay? I, I just think you're a little bit afraid of a, some man-ass. And if the man-ass is tattooed, I'm okay with it. All right, this week in food management. Luke, lots of people writing in to say this is a BC move, or at least the old BC before we had the black liver. Can we zoom in <laughs> on this? Luke, this got a lot of play. First of all, I don't dress like that. I, I bet you Kevin Ioli has that shirt though, Luke. But um, putting the what do you think about putting the hot dog with the ketchup right on the damn counter? I mean, is it actually getting more diseased this way? I don't think so. Uh, no, no top on the cup, no straw, no nothing. But yet playing with a credit card—that's fantastic, Luke. I'd be more impressed if it was. Do you do you do you use your phone for Apple Pay yet? Uh, I have before, but I don't regularly. Yeah, I've started to do that now. I feel like a real asshole, but it's just it's more convenient. I also don't put my hot dogs right on a Seven Eleven counter where there is COVID and AIDS. But yeah. you know, you'll also put your buns on a tattoo needle. So why not put your buns right there and just eat them, Luke? Fair All right. Enough. Hey, Fair that's enough. not the grossest food management we've seen. Like, check out this hockey fan. Can we zoom in all the way, please? <laughs> Luke. I got uh, I got a Coke Zero here, and I got uh, three tacos with uh, ground beef, shredded cheese, and a little bit of piss. <laughs> number, number six in your scorebook with the grossest piece of shit of all time. Wow, yeah. You deserve whatever you get on them fries. Yes. That look, okay. Uh, there's only one face I could give to that, Luke. It's Belichick's kid. Can we show this? Yes, thank you. Thank I know you. this guy right. looks like Miss Belichick definitely smoked yes. in utero. I mean, all right, let's head out to the baseball diamond. Talk about missing the cutoff man and cutting the umpire. Check this out. Oh, oh, boy. oh. yeah. Take that for it. Well, you, oh, oh damn. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's rough. That's rough. Dude, get Mark Breland to throw the towel on this poor fool. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Luke, I do have to give you credit, though. You've said it to me once. You've said it to me a thousand times. Ain't no party like a Doha party. Check out these guys, Luke. Yeah, this is not Doha, just so that's clear. <laughs> it's a little racist of you to think that, but okay. No, Luke, that's where you lived, bro. This, these, this is Dude, uh... there's nothing about this. that. Do you know anything? Do you think Doha is a series of tents and sand? 
Because if you do, you are deeply mistaken. I'm not even sure if these people are Arabs, for that matter. Uh, this might be the Taliban, for all I can tell. Okay. Okay, Luke. I, I, you know, I instant regret, instantly regret putting yeah. it out there. This one the should have man... made. The, this one should have made the cutting room floor. This one here. The only clip that ever did was that time they wouldn't let me show that circus performer die on Have You Seen This Shit, Luke, with the snake. Yeah, I tend to not show, uh, not to be in favor of showing um, animal and human murders, but yeah, maybe I'm thinking out loud. I don't know. All right. Would you? I, I'd, I'd consider attending that Doha party though if they had good food, Luke. I'll tell you that. Hey, let's close on this, Luke. This is we can call this going on strike. I don't know how this happened, but this is your your turkey of the week here. <laughs> like, dude, how do oh, you not get yeah. thrown out of the bowling alley do, shot putting it? <laughs> have, have you ever been thrown out of a bowling alley? I got close. I have ones. not. I have not been thrown out. A buddy of mine did this, but in the reverse, which was rather than just sort of overhanding it, he kept underhanding it, but he was underhanding it like literally he was playing softball with the neighborhood kids. So the ball would, or the, the bowling ball would go way into the air and then come crashing down uh, onto the boards there. It didn't break any of them, but they were like, if you do it one more time, you're going to have to get out. And so we stopped, but we were teenage kids. So yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah. You just got an athlete's foot instead. Yeah. All right, Luke. Right. Uh, apologies right. to all um, members of Cutter. Cutter. That's right. right Luke? Don't, don't be doing Including that shit your again. family. Uh, yes. yes. Uh, okay, BC. Time for... Oh, you know what? We, we can do odds and ends. Time for odds and ends. What do you have for odds and or ends? Uh, look, it was an all-heavyweight pay-per-view card for Rui, Ruiz. Good guy. Wilder Fury 3. But they had some featured players on the undercard. Unfortunately, uh, our guy J-Rock Julian Williams lost a split decision in his comeback bout. But, look, Edgar Berlanga, the knockout artist, who, of course, the top-ranked light heavyweight prospect, we lauded and remembered for going 16-0 and with 16 first-round KOs before going the distance in a win in his last bout. Luke, he had a featured fight here. I forgot the fella's name. I, I'm showing no respect to his opponent. Coceres, Not only was this Coceres from Argentina? Coceres, that's right. Coceres' eye got effed up, but he would not stop coming, Luke, with those right hands. Not only did Berlanga go the distance in winning another decision, but, Luke, he got dropped. He got dropped... Uh, Pretty good on a flush right hand. So this turned out to be a rough night at the office. Berlanga, you know, big time power from New York, Puerto Rican background, friends with celebrities. I love interviewing him. I love the swagger. But this was two fights in a row, Luke, where he kind of took a step back. And I know in this one he also injured his left arm and may have torn his biceps. But No, he did. It's, a, it's was, affirmed. He tore his, he, in the third round, he tore his biceps. That's, that's a pretty bad injury. That is, that is. But, you know, he took some shots late. And, uh, Luke, I got to say, it, it's what he had going, that marketable run of 16-0, and 0, 16 first-round KOs. I mean, it put him on the map in a lot of ways. But you do have to wonder, you know, how much you, you tend to lose in not getting those rounds in the end. Once he got into a fight with somebody here who can take his shot and can also land back. These are now, like I mentioned, two fights in a row where he kind of took a step back. Not, not enough to panic. He didn't crumble. He didn't get knocked out. But uh, this certainly wasn't the showcase bout it could have been on regular TV ahead of this pay-per-view, Luke. Tough to see that. I hope he can bounce back. Yeah, he got the win. He had he obviously hits hard. You could hear it when he was landing. It sounded harder than what Caceres would offer. But Caceres, dude, there was like several rounds. He was stealing on Berlanga, like landing flush. And you could tell Berlanga was like, I don't know where these punches are coming from. It was one of those moments where you're like, eh, we got to tap the brakes on this guy a little bit. So... 
What are you going to do? Uh, For my odds or ends, I don't want people to lose sight of the fact that BC and I, in two days, we're going to be in studio together. Why? Well, we have a lot of stuff we want to do. In part, we got Bellator 268 this coming weekend. Nemkov versus Angliscus. Now, this was not the fight fight we had hoped it would be. We thought it was going to be Nemkov taking on Rumble Johnson. We know Rumble Johnson's going to be out for a while. We wish him a speedy recovery, whatever his issues may be. Angliscus is a guy who won on Contender Series. He's a big, strong kid. I don't think he's going to beat Nemkov, but who the hell knows? More to that point, uh, on the co-main event, Ryan Bader taking on Corey Anderson. The winner of these two go to the finals of the light heavyweight Grand Prix. By the way, the card will also feature, it'll be in Phoenix, Arizona, Benson Henderson taking on Brent Primus. Henry Corrales is on this card as well. Um, there's some decent names here along the way and uh, a very, don't very important fights. Don't on his back. Against Carl Albrechtson, yes, from Sweden. So, um, again, there's a bunch of good fights on this card. It will be on a Saturday at the, let's see, the Footprint Center in Phoenix, Arizona. And we are going to have some great coverage for you for it this week. And I just want to put that on everyone's radar. Don't forget Bellator coming to Showtime on Saturday. BC, we're also recording a resume review this week in in Jersey. We are also... We are. I won't tell the people who it is, but I'm saying we're doing it, and we we are doing it. We also may be doing some other side stuff that people really like. So hopefully, Luke. Hopefully. All right. Hopefully, uh, BC. Maybe you can set this up. I'll I'll say this now. I haven't seen this video. Neither have you. Neither we got sent a video that's sort of a MK celebration, which I'm told even mentions the 100K subs, right? Yeah, so once again, thank you to all our new subscribers who got us over the top. Thank you all those day one-ish people who loved Luke, loved us on the MMA beat back in the day, came along with us, stayed the course, 100K, we made it, baby. Use our promo code, by the way, if you always want to get some merch, morningcombat.store. Get your 20% off for the next 24 hours with, of course, thank you, 100K. But Luke, a donk of sorts. Do we have the guy's name before we throw to this video? I don't. Producers maybe they can. Maybe they can tell us here in the chat feed from the producers. We'll shout it out, but maybe you can just play the video and then we'll say it. Gillis, the man's name is Gillis, has apparently I haven't seen this sent in a tribute video to celebrate us getting to this milestone. You got here with us, folks. Let's all enjoy this together for the first time. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It's the MK Commandments. What? Dunks can't tell me nothing about this show. Dunks can't tell me nothing about Luke, BC, my Chuckman Dunks. Dunks on the chat edit, get your Dunks. My simple meme Dunks. Alright. Been watching MK for years. It made me an actual fight lunatic. I wrote some semi-factual tip-to-tip notes for new donks to get all the inside jokes like the review curse hoax. Rule nombre uno, don't use no espanol. Les Lucas vetted every last one of them syllables. There's possibly Colombians like three watching so shut up if that accent sucks. Number two, never let them know what stressed you. Less it's gas station food, kids are crying or your liver's dying. Matter of fact, never mind. Tell your viewers every time just how shitty you're feeling and your reasons why. Three, never trust the UFC. Dana gon' make facts up, won't jump but acts tough. But the rest of the scene's rough. See, 1FC sucks and Bellator's alright but they mostly washed up. Number four, Luke, we never heard this before. 
Tell us all why you wanted Ariel to cry. Number five, they wouldn't ship a hat, mug, vest, or cap. They didn't care if you're in their hometown. It wasn't going down. Six, that BCBDE, we get it. Your art's coming out of faces, regardless if we let it. Seven, boxing is so underrated, and if MK never covered it, I would be devastated. Knuckles and blood is can't miss, like throwing sticks in a pool. Shit, I think that we'd be fools to exclude this. Eight, BC, you'll have to wait on Luke. And after you wait your turn, he'll still interrupt you. Number nine, if you want some fun for free, watch Luke waxing poetic on Latina booty. And room service diaries are worth a listen. The boys sitting and drinking, debating, and just riffing. Number ten, a strong connection to the audience. As much now as then, despite the progression. If they think MK's slowing down, say hell no. Cause MK's only doing one thing, and that's grow. Follow these dudes, and you'll witness some great stuff. If not, pound sand. Keep watching the same stuff. But MK's something special. It's time you did a change up. So stop watching all that lame stuff. When Luke asked just to make stuff, this is what I made up. When BC said, come on, this is what came up. I'm a P1 fan, couldn't be more grateful. Gotta go, gotta wait on your notification and stay up. Don King. Heavy hitter hot sauce. Congrats on 100K, guys. Thanks for everything. BC, 10 crack commandments Damn. to the 10 MK commandments. I gotta say, that's pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah, that's that's some top shelf stuff. I think he hit on a on a bunch of facts as well, Luke, in that in breaking that down. Um, thank you, Gillis, Gillies, Helis, Holt, yeah, Hodge Giles, Racer, Gillis. Gracie. I'm not sure either, but yeah, yeah. Um, wow, what a real man that guy is, Luke. That was amazing. That's the kind of thing we've been trying to foster here: is people who are P ones who know what's up, who have strange abilities, but that's no different from me and Brian. That we're the exact same way. We just all love fights. One more time, thank you to everybody from Brian Daly at Showtime all the way down to the person who just clicked on sub there. Thanks to everyone who has helped get us to 100K. We're not done. It's kind of an arbitrary number, but it was the first one that we really wanted to hit, and you guys helped us do it. And um, we're just so grateful, BC, right? We love you all. Thank you very much. Luke, I, I would be remiss if I didn't shout out Matt Snyder, our, our great producer yes. who, who – uh, him, him and I, we're not doing well personally lately, but I... Well, that, that's so really just a matter of you being a dumbass, but yes. I mean, I did make a few distasteful jokes about his family, but Luke, I really, I regret them in hindsight, okay? But okay. our great staff, Gaff, Manich, Sally, Al Wendling, Mikey Mormile, I mean, we got we got some peeps, Luke. I mean, how about our guy with the flavor crystals, uh, uh, Nolan, the sound guy? I mean, we got the best staff ever, Luke. The power crystals, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we really do. We really do. So I want to thank everyone who helped us get here. Big day. Jake. Don't forget the promo code to take advantage of it. We're still giving back because you gave to us. Thank you, 100K. So thank you. Then the number is 100, then the letter K. Thank you, 100K. You go to morningcombat.store, 20% off everything right now. Hit it. We're going to keep it up there for 24 hours to thank you for helping us. Uh, BC. Quick shout gonna... out. Go ahead. To Less than Jake and Tim on the cams for, the, uh, for a lot of our stuff, also the documentaries. But Luke, we wouldn't be here today either without Pennington James, Jason Aaron, who I believe is playing a live show in New York City this week, uh, his new original music. So uh, If you're I know playing you have... in the subway and no one wants to hear it, are you doing an original show? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, thank you to everyone who's touched this thing and touched us in, in good, bad, or inappropriate ways. We appreciate that. And uh, also, you want to leave us an Apple review? 
whoever can come the best, we're asking you to come on, okay? So if you can come and bring and make us laugh, do what Giles Gillis just did, um, the best of the bunch gets a $50 gift card, all right? Hit us up. We got some goals in that area. Go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us that rating and review. Thank you, folks. Use your 20% off code. Get some merch. We love you. We love you so much. Uh, If you want to watch... You were saying? Uh, Do you want to do the Wheel of Death in person this week or no? We can do it if you want. Up to you. Sure. All right. TBA. All right. Just let me remind folks, if you don't have Showtime and you want to get it, now's a great time because the Bellator Live Heavyweight Grand Prix rolls on, which means you got to go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, keep it. If not, go about your merry day and do something stupid with your life. You certainly can. Email us for fan subs on Wednesday for Dead Wrong on Friday. That'll be M, uh, excuse me, morningcombat at gmail.com. Like and subscribe, which you already have. We really appreciate that. For all the new viewers and listeners here, we thank you guys for being a part of the ride. We hope to continue to entertain you. We are back in studio on Wednesday. So if you're new to MK, this is not how we always do it. This is like the pandemic kind of version of it, but here we are. We'll be back in studio on Wednesday. There's all of our social there. So for CBS Sports, for Malka, for Showtime, for everyone who helped us achieve a day that Again, they don't come easy. It took us over two years to do it, but here we are. We finally made it. It's on to bigger and better things. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Mil gracias. We, uh, we're greatly appreciated. For the King of Connecticut, Brian Campbell, I'm Luke Thomas. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal. At the Coca-Cola Company, Keurig Dr. Pepper, and PepsiCo, our bottles might still look the same, but some of them can be remade in a whole new way. Using 100% recycled plastic, New bottles made using no new plastic except the caps and labels. You'll be seeing more of these new bottles in more places, and that's thanks to you. Because when we get more bottles back, we can use less new plastic. Learn how our bottles are made to be remade at madetoberemade.org.